Whether you know me from the show or you know me personally, you know that I'm fond of saying how much better things were back in the day. Uh, most things, not just sports, but when it comes to hockey, things were definitely better back in the day. I don't prefer the style of hockey that's played now. I prefer the way it was when I was growing up. And a lot of the players now, it doesn't seem like they get it. It doesn't seem like they want to play a physical style. It doesn't seem like they want to play an old school way. Well, today's guest, he is an old school player to the core. He's a young man that has been tearing it up for the Worcester Railers over the last few seasons. He's played a few games in Bridgeport. And hopefully one day he'll skate on the ice at the Coliseum or in Belmont. That man is Yannick Turcotte. Quite a nice drill. Nice drill. Really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck Just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I got to tell you, I am in a really, really good mood. Um, but of course, before I get to that, I have to tell you a few things, and then I'll tell you why I'm in a good mood. So uh, whether this is your first time listening to the show, or if you're a lifetime listener, and by lifetime, I mean starting in 2019, I just want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Uh, honestly, I would do this show even if I had zero listeners, although I'm sure my mom would listen. Uh, it's that much fun for me to do it. But knowing that there's someone on the other end listening to this, uh, no matter where you are, uh, apparently I'm pretty big in Norway. To all my Norwegian listeners, thank you. You guys rock. Um, but it's nice to know there's someone on the other end that appreciates the effort that I'm putting in. But uh, you know, I just want to say thank you, everybody. And if you do enjoy the show, if you wouldn't mind, could you please subscribe? Uh, apparently, it helps the algorithm, as I keep saying every week. I, I'm going to look into it, but I never do. Uh, but I guess the number of subscribers helps uh, my numbers. Uh, also, if you could like the show on certain platforms. And if you have a second, if you could rate and review the show. Obviously, uh, I think it's a five-star show. Um, and it's not arrogance, I guess. Why would anyone do something like this if they don't think they're doing a five-star job? Um, I think it's a five-star show. I know the research I put in is definitely five stars, and hopefully you feel the same. So if you wouldn't mind clicking that fifth star, the one all the way over to the right, if you could click that for me. Um, but honestly, if you think the show sucks, then click the first star. I, I think all the ratings help. I don't know. Uh, but if you could leave a review, that would help also. Uh, and I'd really appreciate that. 
Thank you very much in advance. Uh, if you'd like to follow me on social media, I am on Twitter. Personally on Twitter, my uh, account is at Joe underscore Lozito. That's at J-O-E underscore L-O-Z-I-T-O. And the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin Pod at C-O-L-I-S-I-N-B-I-N-P-O-D. Uh, it wouldn't let me do Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. Apparently, that's too long. That's what she said. So um, on Twitter, if you follow me, I will follow you back. Uh, I appreciate everyone who's followed me so far. And uh, hopefully we can grow the show on all the social media platforms and uh, also on the platform you're listening to. Uh, I do have a page on Facebook for the show. That's at facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast. And <clears throat> on, <clears throat> excuse me, I get choked up. Uh, and if you go on that, that's not going to be anything personal. I really don't do uh, Facebook personal stuff because uh, Facebook in and of itself is such a cesspool nowadays. So I kind of limit the uh, Facebook input to that uh, podcast page. And on that page, I'll, uh, you know, post some random Islander enforcer stuff. I'll post Islander enforcer birthdays, um, you know, certain things. But it's all, it's all stuff that has to do with the show. So you don't have to worry about seeing my baby picture or anything like that. Um, you know, so if you want to click like, you add it to your, um, your Facebook wall or whatever it is. You see it in your feed and, you know, it'll probably bring a little joy to your life if you're listening to the show. You like the more physical style of the game. Well, just uh, go ahead and hit like. Uh, I'm on Instagram also. That's Joseph underscore Lozito. Um, again, that's a personal Instagram, but if you take one look at it, you know it's pretty much the Instagram for the show, at least for the last few months anyway. I don't see that changing. Obviously, if you've listened to the show before, you know that Coliseum Chronicles merchandise is available. We have 22 unique items uh, for your wearing pleasure. Uh, T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, socks. I have banners. I have tote bags. Uh, onesies, like I keep saying, if you're on the fence about having a child, what better reason to have a child than to put them in a Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box onesie? Now, obviously, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. You know, I'm a big proponent of family. I'm a big proponent of having children. Uh, you know, I'm very old fashioned that way. Obviously, the Coliseum Chronicles onesie is not the best reason for having a child, but it's probably top 10. But uh, again, obviously, I'm kidding. But Take a look at the store. Uh, there's something on there for everybody. Um, <clears throat> Joe Marisich, local artist here on Long Island, he did my logo. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, I think he's uh, extremely talented. And uh, just take a look at the store. And um, it, there'll be something on there that you like. If you like to see your girl in leggings, I do have uh, Coliseum Chronicles leggings. So, uh, you know, you could, you could have ulterior motives if that helps you out. No problem there. So if you're interested, uh, the website... For the Coliseum Chronicles merchandise is teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merchandise. Or you could just go to the description, easy for me to say, of this episode on the platform you're listening to and there should be a link to it. Or I have a link to it on all my social media platforms. As I've mentioned, the person who drew my logo, Joe Marisich, uh, we have baseball and hockey in full swing right now. So his social media feed is full of his artwork. He's a big Mets fan, a big Islanders fan, and a big Jets fan. So I would say probably within a few weeks when uh, hopefully NFL camps get going 
His feed's just going to be full of his artwork, and his artwork is pretty much second to none. Check out Joe at GraphicsJoker on Twitter, G-R-A-F-I-X-J-O-K-E-R, or you can reach him at LoudEgg.com. Joe does work for the average Joes like myself, and for you, uh, you know, he does work. He is for hire, and he's amazing. So um, reach out to Joe for all your art needs. And as always, if you are listening to this show, I'd like to recommend a few other shows. The Fourth Line Voice with Darren, the OG of Enforcer Podcasts. He has two shows a week on the Hockey Podcast Network, um, and he also has a YouTube channel, as I'm fond of saying. If you've ever watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on Darren's channel. So, Fourth Line Voice YouTube, Fourth Line Voice Podcast. Check it out. Darren does an amazing job. Also, Bobby Longgrass at the Bucket Drop Podcast. I was a guest on his show uh, two and three episodes ago. It was one show, but we broke it up into two episodes because, as you know, I don't know when to shut up. His last episode... I believe was the top 10 ECHL enforcers with Alan Sirwa. Uh, and it was during Alan's time. So I think that went from mid nineties to early two thousands. Very good episode. Um, whenever we get players on our shows, it always provides an insight that, you know, as big of fans as we all are, that we just don't have not being in the locker room and not being on the ice. And Alan was a great guest. So check out the bucket drop five for fighting podcast, Alec Olin Salen. Uh, I believe his last published episode was Chris McAllister, big Chris McAllister, former Flyer, former Leaf, former Canuck, former Saskatoon Blade. Uh, Chris went with everybody. And uh, if you listen to my episode with uh, Richie Pilon, I think Richie Pilon said Chris is the guy that uh, gave him the worst uh, time in his whole career. And, um, you know, Chris is a very tough guy. Alec did a great job with him. He always does a great job. Uh, also, if you're on Facebook, check out Alex Enforcer Appreciation page. It's a little bit different than uh, some of the other Enforcer pages um, because there's many Enforcers that are members and they participate. And um, there's always a lot of input. It seems like it's kind of the landing spot for uh, fans like myself, even though I don't really post on there. I'm on there every day uh, just for uh, our Enforcer needs. So um, check out some of those shows. Uh, check out Darren's YouTube page. Check out Alex's Facebook page. And, um, you know, that pretty much sums up the uh, usual announcements. Now, why am I in a good mood? Well, obviously, it's not because the politicians for this country got off their asses and settled the whole uh, federal unemployment thing because uh, tomorrow's Monday. They still don't have anything settled. It's always nice to know that there is a fraction of humanity that has so much power over millions and millions of people. Uh, I am going to look on the bright side and say that they are still talking. Of course, it would have been nice if they would have done this weeks ago, but they are still talking and that's a plus and hopefully they get this shit nailed down sooner rather than later because there are a lot of people like myself who want to go back to work but cannot because our job is not open because of, guess why, another politician. So. I'm screwed right now in terms of wanting to work and uh, for myself personally, that extra $600 has helped us tread water. I was going to say keep afloat. Uh, we're not living in the lap of luxury. We never were. And even with that extra 600 bucks, it helped us, you know, stay even. We're not out buying uh, all that extra stuff that they want 
you to think that everyone that's getting that extra money is buying. But anyway, Andrea and I took a trip down to Philadelphia yesterday. We had uh, we were at a friend's house. Their children graduated high school, and um, they uh, were babies when we first met the family because Andrea was their nanny for a few years. And uh, it was a fun time. They're a real fun family. Uh, you know, it's just uh, you, you're just sitting there and you're just in the backyard with a bunch of people and uh, you're just having a good time. And it really was something that I know I needed because this is obviously a dark time for everybody. And, and even though we were there for maybe seven hours or so, it was nice to see some old friends and, and uh, to be in a situation where you don't really have to think about much. You can just go and have a good time. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I was glad that I got to do that. Also, being in Philadelphia meant I got to go to Wawa. And uh, if you've never been to Wawa, you don't know what you're missing. And if you've been to Wawa and now live in a state that doesn't have it like myself, oh boy, when you get back there, it's it's such a glorious thing. It's the best coffee going. I know some people like Starbucks. That stuff is ugh, it's like kerosene. Uh, I do like Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I do like Tim Hortons. Uh, but nothing comes close to a Wawa coffee. So uh, even 12 hours later, whatever it is now, I am still, uh, I'm still on a euphoric high just from being able to uh, go to Wawa. But uh, another reason why I'm in a good mood is my guest on today's episode, and that's Yannick Turcotte. Um, Yannick Turcotte is the first player, and uh, this is the 25th episode. He's the first player that is actually still playing. And... Uh, I wasn't quite sure how this was going to go because I, I had never spoken to Yannick before, maybe just a few messages back and forth. I've seen some of his interviews on YouTube. He's very charismatic. He's, I mean, just he seemed like a wonderful kid. And boy, I mean, he was. He was unbelievable. Um, and, and within a few minutes of the interview, it was, I mean, I, it's hard to explain because my general feeling about um, the sport today is just it's one of apathy to be honest with you because outside of the islanders i i don't know much about about anyone or anything in the sport other than you know guys like ryan reeves or lucic and you know the handful of guys who who still mix it up a bit um i mean i'll always refer winnipeg as long as chevy is the gm and um i'll always keep an eye on philadelphia i mean we, we lived there for 10 years um, you know, so, and I know people in the organization, so they're always an easy team to root for also. Uh, but I don't know much about those organizations outside of my connection, which, like I said, with Winnipeg would be Chevy and with Philadelphia would just be the geography of it where, where we live there. But, uh, it, it, my, my feeling towards the sport outside of the Islanders and the Islander, you know, affiliates like Worcester and Bridgeport is one of apathy and talking to Yannick it just it was almost like it, it reinvigorated me to be honest with you now Worcester is a team that has a few guys on there that don't mind mixing it up Yannick of course he is uh, he's the top heavyweight on the team and he's if he's not the top heavyweight in the league uh, he's definitely right in the mix he's definitely at the table um, so Worcester would be a team that I would recommend if you're in uh, in or around Worcester, or if you're near an East Coast Hockey League team, I would definitely recommend going to see Worcester. Um, they also have Mike Cornell. They have Ross Olsen. Uh, those guys, I'm sure, along with Yannick, make the team very, very fun to watch. But like I said, I, I was talking to this kid, and really within five minutes, he just has this enthusiasm. He's, he's, 
He's, you can tell he's just, um, and again, I, I've, I think we spoke for almost two hours. So I have literally two hours of experience talking to Yannick Turcotte. And he is such a positive person. He, he just has this positive outlook. He has this youthful enthusiasm about him that, you know, midway through the interview, I think I stopped and I said, man, I just like I have goosebumps. And, and it, it really was a fun interview to do just because, uh, you know, he's, he's early 20s and he's playing a style of hockey that you think hockey wants out of the game. And, you know, for a guy like Yannick, who came up through the Quebec League with uh, the Ramparts, not a lot of players play that style. Uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, he'd be one of many. But, you know, he's a kid that had to fight, and I don't want to give it away, but you'll hear in the interview, he had to fight literally for everything that he has right now. And every step of the way was a battle for him. And it just really makes you appreciate his journey through the Quebec League and to the ECHL, and as of right now, the highest level he's played in, he's played a handful of games for Bridgeport. He's he had a few fights in Bridgeport, um, and it really. He, all I have to say is, if you listen to this interview and you're not a Yannick Turcotte fan by the end, I think you have issues because, I mean, aside from the fact that you can tell in the interview what a good kid he is, you can obviously tell that he has worked and worked and worked, like I said, for everything he has. Every step of the way, this guy is just his foot's on the gas 100 miles an hour. Um, I know I'm gushing right now, and, and, and I really am, but I, I got to tell you, it really, um, because of the way the game is right now, um, it really was, it was a breath of fresh air. Now, obviously, being an Islanders fan, uh, you know, here on, with the big club, we have Ross Johnston, who, by the way, after yesterday's game, uh, where Johnny Boychuk... And, and I know some people are saying it wasn't a dirty hit, it was borderline, whatever. Call it what you want, but the fact is this guy, Matheson, basically sent Boychuk into next week, and he didn't return, and nobody on the ice did a damn thing, and that is something that irks me. Uh, clean hit, dirty hit, um, someone's got to do something. I mean, grab him. You know, I, I was a little surprised, to be honest with you, um, Sezikis was out there. He's been known to defend some of his teammates in the past. Clutterbuck was out there too. I don't know if Martin went off for a change because the third forward out there was Bovillier, and he's not really going to do do anything like that. Uh, I kind of wish that Martin was out there instead of Bovillier. Actually, I don't kind of wish. I do wish that Martin was out there instead. Um, but I hope that Ross is going to dress on, on uh, Wednesday or Tuesday. I forget when they're playing, Tuesday or Wednesday. I want to say Tuesday. Uh, I do hope he's in the lineup, and I do hope the game gets out of hand, and I do hope that he tosses Matheson a beating. Uh, I know that maybe some of you are saying, no, it's the playoffs, you can't do this, you can't do that, but I digress. So being an Islander fan now, you have guys like Ross Johnston on the team, you have Matt Martin on the team, uh, you have Scotty Mayfield on the team. So it's not like I root for a team that has zero toughness. Uh, you know, In 2020, having those three guys on the team is kind of like having the modern-day Broad Street bullies. Um, and Bridgeport really didn't seem like they had a lot of guys. Um, I know towards the end of the year, they had signed Danny Lacroix's son, who's as scrappy as they come, but he's not a heavyweight. Um, so I don't know exactly who's under contract. I know they have uh, Helgeson and, and Holmstrom. They're down there too. Uh, but I don't think either one of them has the pedigree that Turcotte has. So it would be nice if and when 
next year's AHL season starts to see Yannick maybe get uh, a legitimate chance to stick with Bridgeport. And I'm sorry to the fans of Worcester that are listening to this because I'm sure you want him to stay in Worcester. I don't blame you. If I was in Worcester, I'd want him to stay there too. Um, but obviously, the higher that Yannick goes, the closer to the NHL he gets. And then after that, who knows? All you need is a coach to believe in you. And, uh, you know, who knows? Hopefully, the sky's the limit for him because I, I really – he's such a great kid. And, um, you know, it really – you'll see. I mean, I, I'm yammering at this point, but uh, – You'll see what a, what a really, really good kid this guy is. And he's tough as nails and he loves the job. And uh, anyway, why why should I keep telling you about Yannick Turcotte when you could hear it from the man himself? So with that, uh, everybody, here's Yannick Turcotte. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. Tonight I have a very special guest for you. This is an interview that uh, I'm very much looking forward to doing because out of all the guests I've had, every single one of them have been retired players. And this is my first interview with a current player. It's uh, obviously with the way the game has changed now, that's not an easy thing to do is to find a current player who actually doesn't mind fighting. But I have a good one. I probably have arguably the toughest guy in the East Coast League. Uh, that's a uh, uh, folk hero in Worcester right now for the Worcester Railers. And ladies and gentlemen, my guest is Yannick Turcott. Yannick, how are you doing tonight? Really good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I just want to say thank you very much for joining me. And uh, I'm really excited for this. So uh, cool. if you're ready to go, let's go, right? For sure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. So, Yannick, uh, my first question for all my guests is the same all the time. Uh, if I had a time machine and I could go back to see a young Yannick Turcott playing on the pond, uh, you know, five or six years old, who were you? Who was your favorite player back then? Um, for sure, I would say Jerome McGinley. Mm -hmm. You know, back from uh, when I was maybe um, – well, back from when I started playing hockey, maybe six years old, I remember Joe McGinley was like my role model, you know, like this guy could do it all. Yeah. Like skate, skate, hit, score goals. And he's also like, just like me, he's a black player. Like, <laughs> so, you know, that was like a big inspiration for me. And I remember like every Christmas, my dad was buying me um, jerseys of uh, Joe McGinley. Nice. The home jersey, the away jersey. I was I used to wear them to go to the rink all the time, and yeah, man, like Joe McGinley was like my biggest inspiration. As I grew up, as I go, as I got maybe a little older, it became more. Um, once Milan Lucic uh, came in the league yeah. with the Bruins, um, it was yeah, probably like McGinley and Lucic were my two biggest inspiration. They could just do it all, like skate, hit, scoring goals, yeah. So. No, Ginla and Lucic. Yeah, Ginla is a Hall of Famer now, so that's not a bad role model yeah. to have. And uh, <laughs> obviously I'm a big fan of uh, Lucic also. So, uh, so those yeah. are two pretty good guys. Yeah. So uh, I want to start uh, the career journey with um, 2012 and 13. I see that you split time. Um, I, I'm gonna, you're going to have to help me with some of these French names because I'm going to butcher some of them. So... I see that you played 22 games for Academy St. Louis. Is that right? Oh, my God, yeah. Is that a school yep. or is that a school? Okay, so what happened is um, Academy St. Louis, I was on the uh, I was on a trial for, to play midget AAA with uh, Seminar Saint-Francois, which is like the, the probably the best program, hockey program in uh, Quebec. Mm -hmm. And I got cut from that team at 15 years old. 
So after that, uh, next year, I come back to camp at 16, and I get cut again. Then another team, you know, when you get cut from Midget AAA, um, all the teams in the league can draft you. Okay. So that you can go for a trial for another team. And I got I got drafted by another team called uh, Riviera du Loup, and they cut me again. Okay. So I was left at 16 years old with no midget AAA team. And um, Academy St. Louis, is uh, the league is called Juvenile AAA. It was a new league back in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still on, and it's a school league. So they really, they focus more about the school mm-hmm. and they focus about the game. But it's a good alternative if you're not if you're not making midget triple A, mm-hmm. then you can go there. But it was only the second year of the school. Uh, it was only the second year of the league, so never a player got drafted coming in from that league. Okay. Yeah. So you know, like your chance of going at the higher level from that league were pretty low because, like, no one knows that league really, pretty much. Right. And I remember, mm-hmm. like, when I when I got cut from uh, the midget AAA team and I went there like it wasn't that much serious it's mm. it wasn't like it you it wasn't like it is now because like I said it was only the second year of that league and I was also playing football at the time so I only played I only played a couple games when I went uh, when I was in that game so like 20 something because I was missing games to go play football because I was doing I was playing both sports mm-hmm. up to 16 years old so yeah I played there Academy Saint Louis. What position did you play in football? Defensive end. I w- so I started um, first year high school, second year high school. I was uh, playing running back, fullback. I stopped for uh, third and fourth year high school because I was really into hockey. Yeah. And then once I got cut from midget AAA, I told my dad, you know what, I'm going to go back to football. I'm going to play hockey like Split half and half, do both, yeah, and then we'll see the next year what what's gonna happen. And I came to Academy Saint Louis and put me at defensive end, and I was playing some time fullback too. Nice, nice. Well, yeah. I've seen videos of you. I've seen pictures of you. You're you're in tremendous shape. You're very athletic. So my, my guess would have been linebacker. I I could have seen you as an outside linebacker <laughs> rushing the quarterback, but defensive yeah. end isn't a surprise. So. Uh, so, so that actually is a good story then, because you're telling me you got cut from two teams, but then two after teams. after that season you got drafted in the ninth round into the QMJHL draft by the Quebec Ramparts. So, were yeah. you expecting to be drafted at all into the Q? So, so crazy. What happened is um, I was playing the season in uh, juvenile AAA with uh, Academy Saint Louis. I played my games there, playoffs and everything, and then. Uh, um, the team, the Simna Saint Francois team, the the Blizzard that they um, they cut me, the team that cut me twice, mm-hmm. um, they were missing players for playoffs, and they called me saying, "Hey, would you mind going back? Uh, we got a spot for you. We're in playoffs right now. You can play a couple games. That could be good for you." And I said yes right away, and I went on. We played in playoffs, and I, re- I remember I played I played great. I wasn't scoring goals and all that, but I was super physical. I was getting noticed, mm-hmm. and I played I think ten games with the Midget Triple A team in playoffs. And after that, uh, I think the week after, like something like 15, 15 QMJHL teams 
called me, wanted to know more about me. So wow, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't want to know more about me from the time I had in uh, the juvenile league, but more from the ten games I had with the midget triple A team. So I think by the after after I played with the um, the mid the midget triple A team, mm-hmm. I think after that I really got noticed and team started calling me. Wanted to know more. I think I knew by that time that I was going to get drafted. Now, the Quebec Remparts, they play in Quebec City. Did they play at the old Coliseum where the Nordiques used to yeah. play? Yeah. So we played, I played my 17 and 18 years old there. Mm-hmm. And 19, 20, we played at the new um, the Videotron Center. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, you're from Quebec City. That's where you were born. Yeah. So my question is, as a young as a young kid, uh, did you go watch the Remparts play at all? All the time. I was the biggest fan. You know, like, I was going to the games. Um, every couple weeks, I was going there, watching the games. Even when I got older, maybe, like, 15, even 16 years old, I was still going there. And, yeah, like, that was my biggest dream when I was younger was definitely to play for the Remparts. Oh, that's awesome. Who yeah, was your – did you have a, did you have a favorite player? On the ramparts, not really. You yeah. know, like it's yeah, it's a lot. Like it's way before. Like I don't, I don't remember seeing a guy thinking right. like I, I really want to play like this guy. But mm-hmm. I remember going to the games though and telling my dad, man, if I if I ever get a chance to play in this building, they're gonna love me because you know every time there was a hit or something, fans were going on their feet. Every time there was a fight. I mean, you know what it is like when you when you're watching a game. There's a fight. There's a big hit. Yeah. Everyone's just standing up, and players suddenly become like a fan favorite. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I oh, was yeah. just telling my dad if I ever get a chance to play there, they're they're gonna love it. Oh, they definitely did, yeah. and we're gonna talk yeah. more about why. <laughs> so, now that you're from Quebec City, you're playing for the Remparts. So that did you uh, live at home then all your years in Quebec? You didn't need to bill it anywhere. Oh. No, all the years that I was living at home with my parents. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's very awesome. good. Yeah. Um, all right, so we'll go to 2013-14, uh, your first year with Quebec. You played 25 games. You had one goal, 27 penalty minutes. Now, when I was looking at the uh, stats for the team, uh, it looks like you had a couple other guys in the team that played physical, Dylan Donnelly, Adam Chapman. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, correct. Right. So then yeah. – were those guys? Those guys weren't rookies, correct? Like you were a rookie. No, they were they were veterans. So, and, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and Dave, they were the two guys that really helped me a lot, like how to play the game, how to, yeah, how to play a game in my style, how yeah. to get noticed, like how I made the team with the Rampart. So the train once I came to training camp, so I got drafted in the ninth round, pretty late. Mm-hmm on the team that was getting ready to host the Merrill Cup two years after. So the chances for me to make the team in 2013 were probably less than, I would probably say less than 3%. Wow. Because it was already a pretty good team. I was absolutely a nobody. And they were getting ready to host the Merrill Cup in 2014, 2015. And I remember I had to go there and, like, really make a name for myself, name of myself in the first couple of days of camp. So, first day of camp, um, we were playing a scrimmage. I remember my dad telling me before the game, like, 
if you if you think you're gonna go there and just play hockey, like it's not it's not gonna work. Like you're gonna have to run around and get noticed and do something because that's that's pretty much the only way to make it. Like right. there's too much there was too much talent on that team if to not to not play physical, not to get noticed. So I went there, I um I was throwing hits right off the bat, like first period, just throwing hits, skating. Like I was already a good skater. Like I think the reason why I didn't make the midget triple A team is because I wasn't really good with the puck. Like that, it, it's it, it has never been my strength, my play with the puck, my skills. But I've always been a good skater, mm-hmm. which is why I made the team in the queue. So first day of camp, first scrimmage, I was just skating, running around, skating, running around, running around, big hits. And then one of the twenty-year-old on the team came after me, and he said, "Kid, I don't know who you are, but if you, if you keep doing this." I'm going to have to go after you and fight you. Huh. And I was like, all right, buddy. Like, I'm just going to keep doing my things. We'll see. And then the next shift, I I clocked him again right behind the net. And he said, all right, we're going. And then I didn't know what I was doing first time being on a fight, but I, I gave him a pretty good one. And then we were fighting for a bit. And then I had a really good fight. Like, gave him a beating. Yeah. And the next game... The second game, Dylan Donnelly came after me because he was like the tough guy on the team yep. um, that year. And, you know, when you see a rookie running around like I was doing, like you want to you wanna send a message, obviously. Like yep. you're not you're not going to do whatever you want. Like you're, you're a rookie. You just got drafted. You're not going to do that. So he came after me, and then I answered the bell again. Mm-hmm. And... The same weekend, we went in Shawinigan again. I fought again, won a tough guy in Shawinigan again. Then I was the first rookie confirmed on the team. So after that, even though I had something with Dylan Donnelly, like he became one of my good buddies on the team. He was helping me a lot, showed me a couple tips, how to get good fights, how to protect myself and all that. It was, that was really good for me. So based on what you're telling me in terms of the, of the chances that you had to actually make the team, and how it was your dream to actually play for the Ramparts when they finally told you that you made the team? Uh, what did that feel like? Crazy moment, man! Like mm-hmm. I called my dad right away, telling him like, "Hey, I made the ramp. You're not gonna believe it, but I got my spot. I made the team." He was crying on the phone, like, oh, "That's great! Absolute, absolute dream come true!" Like coming from the juvenile league, that was like playing the NHL, you know, like because. Not only was I the first guy that ever got drafted from that league, but I was going to become the first guy to play in QNJHL coming from that league. Nice. And I was unreal, especially knowing that I didn't make the midget AAA team, got cut twice. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. I really got noticed there. And crazy, first rookie confirmed too, but also had three fights in three games. Like, I was really, I was on a mission in that camp. And yeah, good, good story. Good for you. That's awesome. I love stories like that. So yeah, um, so your first fight in the Quebec League, I believe, was with uh, Jimmy Oligny of uh, Ramuski. Yeah. Now, it wasn't uh, compared to a lot of your fights. That fight wasn't really much. It was mostly wrestling. But was it was it your goal to get that first one out of the way? So, I had a, I had a fight in training camp with. Um, a tough guy called Mason Gray. Yeah, Shawinigan, right? That was, yeah, Shawinigan. That was my first fight in training camp. And we went absolutely toe-to-toe. I was, like, my face was pretty beaten down after that. <laughs> and my dad saw him in the parking lot even after. He was like, hey, 
like you know you don't have to do this for me like don't don't beat yourself yourself up like that like if you want to if you want to stop like just stop man like i don't want you to i want you <laughs> i don't want you to get beat up like that all the time like you're only 17 years old and you're you're fighting man's like i'm like i don't i don't like it you know but if that's what you want to do it and do it and i was like that like that's i i need to do this if i want to make the team you understand that obviously but that was a little hard for me so um yeah like i was saying so i fought mason gray that was my first fight mm -hmm. my first real fight and after that um, my first season fight was with Jimmy Olingi. Yeah. And I didn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe again like I did with Gray because my face was, like, <laughs> all beaten up, like, after yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what I did there. I just tried to grab on and, like, wrestle him for a bit. But he was just so strong. And he was 20 years old at the time. I was 17. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of experience. He's an experienced fighter. So I just yeah. went down right away. Pretty funny. <laughs> well, the the funny thing is, people that are listening right now, if they haven't watched your fights, it's funny how you say you don't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe after that fight with Mason Gray. You had five fights in your rookie year. The The second fight through your fifth fight were all wars. They were very... Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, after the Oligny fight, you fought Charlie Poulin, uh, Vital Cote, Quinn O'Brien, and you rematched Mason Gray. And the notes yeah. I took on all four of those fights... They were toe -to -toe. they toe-to-toe -to -toe wars, especially yeah. the rematch with Mason Gray and the Quinn O'Brien fight. So uh, what do you remember about those fights? See, like, after that Jamil Lee fight, I told myself, like, man, like, a punch doesn't hurt. And that's what guys like Dan Donnelly also told me, like, you know, you're going to get hit in a fight, but it's not, it's not going to hurt. Like, what happened with Gray in the preseason fight, yes, my face was all beaten up and all that, but, like, like, the next day, I was good. I was good to go again, you know? So, I kind of learned to not be afraid of taking punches, too. Mm -hmm. And not only that, when you're 17 years old, you're a rookie in the league. I think I think it's the, it's the best time for you to make a name from yourself and, you know, make a statement in the league, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're a guy that's going toe-to-toe -to -toe all the time with other fighters, well, that's that scares other players, you know? Because yeah. you're sending a message that, you're not afraid to take punches and you're willing to go with anybody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was the biggest thing for me at first year, just making it on yourself. When you, when you fight a guy, just go and keep throwing punches. And that's, that's going to scare other players because they know that you're not going to quit. Like you're going to fire and fire and fire. And yeah, that was the biggest thing. Now, as I said, you're, you're uh, the youngest person i've ever interviewed for the show so a lot of the guys i've interviewed are long since retired and when they were younger there was no such thing as mma they there was maybe boxing or something like that but you're the right age where mma is is, is exploded and it's it's big up in canada it's big in quebec it's big everywhere so i'm wondering after that first year or at any point in your junior career did you did you take any MMA stuff or did you take boxing lessons? I know that uh, I don't know how far you are from Montreal, but I know TriStar Gym is pretty big up in Montreal. Uh, any MMA training or boxing training? A lot of boxing training, I'd say. Like boxing, boxing since I was maybe um, sixteen years old, I was doing it with a with a private coach all the time, telling me how to throw punches. Mm -hmm. You know, not only like. 
not boxing classes for how to fight on the ice, but just boxing classes in general to mm. learn how to learn how to throw a punch and learn how to fight with both hands. That was the biggest thing for me. And mm-hmm. once you learn that, then you can translate it on the ice. But you need to know how to use your hands first off ice. Right. And even today, like I still I still take boxing lessons. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing that's helped me with fighting is, as you see, um, in 2013, 2014, I only played 25 games. Mm-hmm. And that's because I got hurt. Okay. So I torn I torn my ACL. Oh. On my 25th game, yeah, and I got injured after that. So I I needed a surgery, everything. That was back in November, November 2013. And during my recovery, all I could do was lift weights. Yeah. And like the ramparts in a QMJHL, they got like really good budget. So we got personal personal trainers. Hey, athletic trainer and all that. No, like not all the teams can have a guy show you how to work out and what to do all the time. But I was privileged with the Remparts to have someone to take me under his wing and work out with me and show me what to do. So I was training. I was working out twice a day when I was injured, and I went from 190 pounds to 215. Wow! From 2013 to 2014. I was <laughs> I was benching tw- 325 on the bench press at 17 years old. Wow, nice. That was that was, that was ridiculous, man. <laughs> the year the year after, I was just this huge, huge guy, super strong, and like fights became a lot easier because not only like I was good using my hands, but I was also like super strong. That's yeah. the strongest I've ever been in my life in uh, 2014, 2015. So I think. That injury in 2013, me tearing up my ECL was actually beneficial for me because it allowed me to gain more upper body strength, like man strength. Yeah. And from mm-hmm. that, like fights were easier after that. And also, like there's experience too. Like the more you fight, the better you're going to be. But yeah, that, that summer really helped me because I had eight months for working out. Like twice a day, just yeah. lifting weights. That was good. One thing I noticed in watching the fights from your first season to your second season, and this may go go along with the boxing training that you're taking, um, you've always been in leagues where you've had to wear visors, and a lot of guys, they seems like they never utilize the uppercut. Where I I saw that second season, your big season, uh, you threw a lot of uppercuts. So uh, first, first of all, I think it's a smart tactic. Obviously, it, you'd much rather go under the visor to hit the guy than you know punch the visor. Um, I think that was brilliant on your part, and I, I wonder why a lot of other guys they don't seem to utilize it as much as you do. See, like I think, like if you want to to use uppercuts, like you need to work, like you need to work on it on somewhere. Like mm-hmm. most of the guys, they're gonna grab the jersey and they go, they're gonna go straight right hand. Yeah. Because that's that's what most people know, but you need to you need to find a way to you know work some other punches, work some combinations. Even my boxing coach was showing me some combination that I was using after on the ice, mm-hmm. and what I was doing also after practices. Every time after practice, I was grabbing a guy, and I was just throwing my punches, throwing mm-hmm. punches, straight right hand, uppercut, uppercut, straight right hand. Straight right hand, grab the jersey, switch, and then go with the left, like things like that. 
and the more you do it after practice, the more you get used to it, then you can translate in a game because you don't want to practice something new in a game. Right. Like you want you want to do it in practice. So that's why I was always like, <laughs> it's funny because after practices. All the other players were shooting pucks, working on drills, and I was just, I was just grabbing someone and then throw punches, throw punches. I was working with my left hand, and the way I fight is, is great for uppercuts because, because I like to keep guys closer to me. Yeah. When you're, like, I'm not a, I'm not a tall guy. Right. So for me, if I want to get, if I want to get good fights, I want to win. I need to keep guys closer to me. And I need to be strong enough to keep them close to me. Yeah. Because most of the players, most of the fighters, you know, <laughs> they're 6'3", 6'4". They don't even need to throw uppercuts because they're so out of reach that they can just go with a straight right hand, over right, over right hand, and then they're going to get you. But for me, if I get a guy really close, not only I can go with the straight right, but I can go with some uppercuts. And then that's how I need to win fights. So, yeah, I need to work on uppercuts straight right hand and also my left hand because when you're close to a guy you can use your both hands too now this season coming into this season now dylan donnelly i believe moved on from the ramparts um now you're i think uh and i don't know if i'm going to say the names right alexander mcquaid and uh kurt etchegary um now they were second on the team in fights but they were a distant second you had 21 majors and those guys had four each um, how was it going into that second year knowing that the, the veterans that you had that first year were gone now? See, I feel like first thing, once I came, when I came to training camp at 215, mm-hmm. like really focusing on getting bigger and stronger, I think everyone knew on the team that I wanted that role yeah. of like being, being the tough guy on the team. And I was telling my coaches too that, we didn't need another veteran to take the fights, like take the big fights. I was going to be a guy who was going to take anyone in the league and fight them, and that's why I that's why I fought so much that year. Yeah. Like I had 21, you said 21 fighting major in the in the regular season. Season. Yeah. And then I fought, I fought I think six or seven times in playoffs. Now mm-hmm. I fought in Merrill Cup too. So that's yeah. That's a year where I had like close to 30 fights. Like, yeah. I don't think we're never gonna see that again. No, like, was, no. Like even the year after, they um, they put a rule where you could only fight ten times because yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was ready to take that role. Obviously, I think I needed I needed a guy like Dylan Donnelly the first year to like yep. show me the way, show me how to do it, and take the bigger fights. Because that year, when in 2013, he was taking more like the big customer. Right. I was going more with the middle ways because it was it was my first year, but for the second year I was going with everybody. Right. Like anyone that wanted to fight, I was just gonna go, and I think that was really good for me. I was also, like I said, very confident because I was bigger, getting a lot of weight, a lot of strength, and I was ready to take that role, beating tough guy on the team, and that really worked out too. Now, there's one guy that, counting the exhibition games that season, I believe you fought four times, and that's Reed Halabi. Uh, I think you fought him once in the preseason. You fought him three times in the regular season. And I didn't see the preseason one, but the three regular season fights were pretty amazing. They were great fights. 
how did you two always manage to find each other in these Man, games? I, I have mad respect for Reed Hallaby. Every yeah. time I needed a fight, like I just came up to him and said, hey, Reed, like I need a fight. Would you like? Would you mind giving me one? Then he was always willing to give me one. Same thing on the other end, though. When he needed a fight, I, I was giving his fight. So mm -hmm. there was just some good respect between the two of us. And, like, he was a tough customer, too. Yeah. Like, the one thing with Reed is you could you could get him with a blow, like, a good punch or two, then he would just stand there, eat them, and then fire back. Like, he was just he was just a warrior. Yeah. And he was a tough guy for shooting me. I was a tough guy for Quebec. We were playing the same division. So I feel like, you know, when you're two tough guys, you're playing against each other, like, Everyone in the building expect you to fight. Yeah. You know, like, like I'm not gonna like some play, some people in the stands, some like they go to the games just to see, yeah, just to see that happen. Mm -hmm. You know. Yep. And when when you two are on the ice, if your team is losing, like when we were losing against Shikurimi, and my coach was sending me on the ice, and Halabi was there, I felt even though no one told me like go fight him. I felt like I had to do it. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I felt like some people expected me to do it because I was the only guy on the team that could actually take on him and give my team a spark. Mm -hmm. And I was also taking a lot of pride in doing this role, you know? Like, I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I loved being a guy that my teammates were looking up to. Yeah. When something happened, like if, if a player gets bullied on the ice or something happened... I know they they were gonna go see me for anything, mm. and like I said, took a lot of pride in that role, and that's why if my team is losing, I'm going on the ice, and the other other tough guy is there. Like, I have to do something. Yeah. Even though no one told me to do it, I have to do it, and I think that's why I think he's got the same mentality too. Yeah. And that's why every time we we're losing by a goal or we were winning by a goal. And we were on the ice. Something's gonna happen because one of the two teams needs momentum. The um, the fourth fight you had with them, that is, I wanted to ask you about that because that one, it didn't start right away. I think you guys were in front of the net, and it looked like he actually whispered something to you, and then you guys started fighting. So I was wondering maybe if that was the case where it was like, uh, you know, I need a fight or you want to fight because it didn't. Yeah, it wasn't I anything. That one. Yeah, it, it on TV. That's what it looked like. He just whispered something in your ear, and then you guys started fighting. Was he just telling you that he, he wanted to fight? Or? Well, see, I um, I remember that game. And uh, early in that game, I wanted to fight him. Yeah. And I remember he uh, he was playing injured that game. He had something. He said, listen, Dirk's like, I'm kind of banged up right now. We're going to start the game. Like, I, I don't want it. But maybe later in the game, if I get w more warmed up, maybe if I feel better, I'll give you one. Mm-hmm. And the game went on, like first period went on, second period went on. I, was, I wasn't playing a good game, and um, we were in front of the net. And then he said, you want it? And I said, yeah, yeah. let's go. And even though I don't, I don't feel like I needed to fight that game, but mm. or he needed to fight, but when you fight, you give yourself a chance to stay in the line of the game after. So I think yeah. that's kind of why I did it. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned earlier that... Uh, this season, the uh, Ramparts were going to host the uh, Memorial Cup. So, uh, in the playoffs, 
one of the things that I noticed while I was watching the fight, you had a two-fight game against Moncton where you gave it to a guy named Lane Cormier pretty good, and then uh, later in that game you fought a guy named Will Smith. Obviously not the Will Smith that everybody is thinking right now. Uh, do you remember that game? <laughs> you remember that game I with do. the two fights? Yeah, I do remember that game. And um, Moncton was a pretty good team at the time, and I remember we had a lot of injuries on our team. I was usually like a a fourth line player on the ramparts, but all of a sudden I went on third line. I think that was the first time of the year I went on third line. So I was more focused on playing the game and uh, bringing energy and all that. I didn't want to fight because um, I was getting more ice time for like one of the first time of the year, and it was really like important games too. But I think when you're a fighter, like whether you're playing on the fourth on the fourth line, the first line, if something happened, you want to fight, you're gonna go. Like you're gonna, like you know, in the heat in the heat of the action, like you're not gonna tell yourself, oh, like I'm playing more minutes, I'm not gonna go. Like yeah. maybe you're gonna think, maybe you're gonna think this before the game starts. But once the game is on, like I think, I think you know you, like you know who you are mm-hmm. as a player, and if you're a fighter, like I said, you're a fighter in. Uh, I remember Lane Cormier asked for me, asked me to go that game because his team was losing, and I was pretty confident in winning that fight. Yeah. And I think we were winning the game too at this time, but when you're playing in Quebec, there's always good crowds, and um, I was known by the fans too. I know, like, I was just giving the people what they wanted too. <laughs> so it was in playoffs too. I thought it was good time too. Um, give the fans a spark, give my bench a spark, even though we were winning. Yeah. And that's kind of why I did it. And later in the game, I know Will Smith went after one of the good players, one of our best players, um, Vladimir Kachev, mm-hmm. Russian player. He went after him, try to try to take some liberties on him, and then <clears> I just <throat> came after him and give it yeah. to him too. That, no, that was one of the ones I noticed uh, yeah. when I was going through the and playoff I, game. I got I got suspended too after that fight, and I was going to miss a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed the first game of the final against Ramuski because of that. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. y- you advance because now we're we're going to talk about the Memorial Cup. So, for a young kid uh, growing up, you know, obviously you liked football, you liked hockey. Now you find yourself in the biggest junior hockey tournament in the country. What was that like for for a young Canadian kid? I was never I would have expected that when I was 16 years old playing a juvenile league, playing football, like literally missing hockey games to go <laughs> play football. If if my dad would have told me, listen, you're playing football right now, but in two years you're going to be at the Merrill Cup tournament with the <laughs> Ramparts, I would say, are you kidding me? Like, there's no way, there's no way that ever happened. So that was super unexpected for me, but... I'm also super grateful it happened because not every kid that played in the QMJHL or any CHL team can say that they went in the Memorial Cup and they experienced it. And obviously something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, but crazy experience. I wish we would have won. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, same, you know, same with the President Cup. Like we lost. We lost in game seven, second overtime. Oh. So that that still hurts. Yeah, I bet. But still, like I said, I'm very grateful for my junior time playing the QMJHL, coming from the juvenile league, 
something I would have never thought. And yeah, really grateful about it. No, you know, like your story is is really it's inspirational on so many levels. You know, like you said, you you talked about Jerome McGinley. You talk about being a you know young black player. You have someone like Jerome McGinley to look up to, and now you know talking about the journey that you took. Let's say you never even turned pro. For young kids in Quebec, uh, maybe young black kids in Quebec, you you could be a hero to them because you you weren't you weren't a, a gifted player where things were handed to you and you your spot was automatic. You had to fight for every everything you got, and now two years later, in, in two years into your uh, Quebec League career, you're skating in the Memorial Cup. So your story is very inspirational too. Absolutely, man. Like, and I. You know, when times are hard, even at the pro level, and, like, you want to quit, like, obviously, man, like, keep going because you never know. You never know who's looking up to you. Yeah. And I know I can be an inspiration for some kids, some young black kids. Like, yeah. even, even like, forget about race. Like, even yeah. kids that are playing juvenile AAA right now, like, that can be, that can be super inspirational yep. for them. Like, yeah. I know some kids are going to juvenile league. Like, they thought about quitting, and they're going there hoping for a shot to play in the queue mm-hmm. and to play pro hockey. And if they want to find some inspiration, well, they're going to they're gonna know that I play in this league and I made it from there. And funny thing is, I didn't play in that league, in the juvenile league, and I didn't put up 50 points in 20 games. Yeah. I put up something like 10 points in 20 games. Yeah. But I still found a way to um, have a role in the queue, have a role with the ramparts, and yeah, I didn't make it as a goal scorer. I just found my best asset, my biggest quality, and I just brought my energy and my passion, my drive, and I think that's what made the the biggest difference. You know, even from minor hockey, when I was playing 10, 12, 13 years old, I remember I was I wasn't getting noticed in that level for my skill, but every time like my dad was a big fan when I was younger of the uh, the Bruins and the Flyers. Like mm-hmm. he grew up watching Bobby Clark, Dave Schultz, um, you know all the tough customers yep. mm-hmm. back in the day. And when I was younger, I wasn't scoring goals or anything. And he was telling me you have to get noticed. Go talk to the goalie. Go talk to the other teammates. Go chirping like. Skate, slash him, do something, get noticed. Yep. In good or bad, you have to do something. You have to get noticed because if you don't get noticed, they they're gonna cut you. Yep. And so even when I was younger, I was playing I was playing that game. Even though like we're not we're not throwing hits, we're not doing anything, but I was trying to find a way to get noticed. Yeah. But like I said, for the for the younger kids that are playing juvenile right now, like you don't have to score fifty points in twenty games in that if you wanna. If you want to move up, if you want to go in the queue, you just have to be different, find what makes you good, and then be better than anyone at it. It's awesome. Great advice. Yeah. Great advice. Now, that season, you did you play some games in Memorial Cup. Uh, you had one game against Kelowna where you had two fights. The first fight was 13 seconds into the game against Rodney Southam of Kelowna. Uh, I mean, was that something that set the tone early? Yeah. I remember even in uh in the warm up um we I saw him at the blue at the red line and I came up to him and then we said, Hey, like you you wanna do this, you wanna get a fire right off the bat? He said yeah, so 
Um, my coach didn't know that I wanted to fight first shift. Mm -hmm. But once the game started, at the opening draw, Declare, Anthony Declare was on left wing. Yeah. And um, I told my coach, Philip Boucher, hey, like, I'm, I have a fight with Ronnie Sodom. He's on the yards right now. Like, we're going to go. And he said, okay, I'll send you right now. And he called, he called <laughs> Declare back on the bench. You can see on the video, too. Yeah. Like, you, you can see Declare's at the draw. Fox drop. He comes back to the bench. And I'm going on the ice to fight Ronnie Sodom. That's tremendous. Yeah. That's that, tremendous. that was awesome. Good tilt, too. Yeah. And then yeah. later in the game, um, Unfortunately, your team was down. I think it might have been three to one or four to one, and you saw that as an opportunity to maybe change some momentum for your team. And you challenged uh, Chance Braid, and that yeah. was a good fight too. Was that was that your uh, thinking going into that? Like, I got to change the momentum here. Oh, for sure. But you know, even early on, I was I was asking Braid all night long. Then he was he was just saying no, like I don't need it, blah 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 blah. blah. But anyways, later in the game, he came up after me. He said, "Hey, you want it?" I said, "For sure." Like. I've been asking you all night long. Let's do it, and yeah, that was that was my last time in the the Coliseum, the Quebec Coliseum, because they um, we moved on to um, the Video Tron Center after that. So that was a pretty uh, pretty good note, pretty good note to uh, to leave on the the Coliseum. Two fights. Yep. And Def I left that that so that, that was, arena. Uh, yeah, that arena has seen a lot of tough players come through those doors. I know, so. A lot. Uh, so it's uh, it's pretty good that you're able to close the arena with those two scraps. Very good for, for sure, you. For sure, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, now, that was awesome. Now we go into the next year, and now all of a sudden they implement the ten fight rule. So <clears throat> you you coming off a season where you had 21 fights, you had an amazing season, uh, Memorial Cup appearance. You know, like I said, personally, 21 fights. You establish yourself as one of the toughest guys in the league, and now all of a sudden the league wants to do this ten fight rule. Um, how did that change your uh, approach to the game? Um, see, at this point, I feel like the 10 fights rule didn't really change anything for me because um, there wasn't a lot of customers left <laughs> mm -hmm, right. to fight me after that year. So I don't even think I would have got more than 10 fights anyways mm -hmm. because the game was slowly changing. Yeah. And... Guys that were 20-year-old left for either pro or CIS or anything. And tough guys that were 19 years old, sometimes they weren't good enough to play as 20 years old. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of guys my age that was fighting left. So I don't think that changed anything really. Right. But not for me. Maybe for some younger players that was that were trying to get um, – trying to make – a name for themselves in the queue and then get more fights right. with anybody. But for me, I don't think that changed a lot. You uh, you did manage to find a few guys to tangle with you. Um, yeah. You started the season, uh, I, I will say it's a one-sided win against Evan Scott of Ramuski. Do you remember that fight? Of course. Yeah. You wanna... fired the video. Yeah, video transfer. That was the first uh, first game ever at the video transfer. I, I think we had... Uh, Something like 18,000 people that game. Wow. So I knew, oh yeah, I knew yeah. I was going to get in the fight that night. You did very well in that fight, as you know. <laughs> um, your next fight was with the guy that you had fought previously, Miguel Sabarin, who I think you're buddies with, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Got a lot of respect for him. You know, he's, a, he's one of the guys where he didn't 
didn't I don't want to say didn't win a lot of fights, but right. he didn't. Uh, he wasn't like giving guys like a beating all all the time, but he was always showing up and showing up to fights yep. and showing up to to battle. And he was definitely a good contender. Yeah, that's what it's that's what it's all about. I I think yeah. I think for a lot of fans that that don't really understand the uh, the role or the or the fight game. It's it's really not about wins and losses. If you if you no. win, obviously that's that's great. But yeah. it's just about showing up and you know it's about showing up. What I know about Mikhail and and obviously before I started researching this interview for you, I didn't know much. Uh, but uh, there were a few guys I wanted to look into a little deeper. He was one of them, and the guy's a gamer, and he always showed up, and that's really all you can ask uh, yeah. from a teammate. So yeah, um, you gotta have a lot lot of respect for him. Of course, yeah, definitely. Now. Yeah. Getting back to your boxing training, you fought Jonathan Masters of Gatineau, and I noticed in this fight, and I don't know if you remember this, um, you used a boxing technique to block. While you guys are fighting, he was throwing some lefts, and you used your you used the boxing technique with your right arm, where you kind of you know make your right arm at the ninety yeah. degree angle, which is again yep. something that you never re- really see guys doing. But absolutely, when I saw you do that, I'm like, he, I definitely knew that you had taken boxing because. That's a boxing technique, so yeah. that's why I it, I wanted to ask you about that because it was definitely noticeable to someone like myself yeah. where here you go you're utilizing it you're blocking his punches and yeah. again not a lot of guys do that so I wanted to basically say it's obvious that you're taking stuff from the gym and utilizing yeah. it in your fights on the ice and see like the thing with the masters he's a he's a lefty yeah. And you don't need to use that technique if you're fighting a righty. Right. Because you can just deflect punches with your left arm. The, you know, like, I'm grabbing a jersey with my left arm yep. when I'm fighting a righty. Mm-hmm. And so I can just deflect punches by lifting up my left arm. Yep. You know, that's what most people do. But when you're fighting a lefty, you're going to open up because there's nothing to deflect punches between his left and my right. Yep. And so that's where you got kind of have to play a chess match with them, like make him miss a punch, and then come back over and then get one, or just block his punch. And as soon as you block him, you fire back, and that's really what uh, boxing classes helped me with. With boxing classes, I kind of learned to um, fight a lefty a lot better because you need. You, I, th- I feel like you need good boxing technique if you wanna if you wanna fight a lefty when you're a righty, mm-hmm. and that that really helped me in that fight. And I fought him again um, later that year, and I used the same technique again, mm-hmm. and I switched lefty because I don't really like fighting uh, uh, lefties. See, I feel like lefties are used to fight righties, but righties were not used to fight lefties. A hundred percent. Yep. We're used to fight. It's it's like. It's like driving a car in England yep. or mm-hmm. driving a car in Europe, you know, like yep. people are used to drive from on the left side. You know what I mean? On mm-hmm. the left on the left on the left lane, like on the opposite lane of us. Yep. But we're not used to this. So when you're fighting a lefty, it's like you're going in their territory. Yep. They're not going in yours. So they're it's more like their game than it is my game, so Yeah. No. Yeah, that's why that's why I went lefty. Yeah, nobody likes fighting lefties, so uh, no. so you're not alone there. So uh, that's yeah. why if you're if you're a left-handed fighter and you're even ha- halfway good at it, and you could play a little bit, there's always going to be a spot for you. So for sure, you know. 
Um, and then uh, one guy you fought, I, I believe, at least once in the regular season, and you fought him once in the playoffs uh, with Gatineau, is uh, Dylan Callahan. Uh, do you remember those fights? I remember. I remember fighting. He's another guy that's a that's a lefty mm-hmm. too. Yep. Yeah. So same same thing with him too. Just I was switching left and rights because I know lefties they're used to fight righties, but they're not used to fight lefties. Yeah. That's kind of where I switched up with the left end. Mm-hmm. But again, him and Masters, a lot of respect for him. I knew where, I knew when I was playing against Gano, I was playing against one of these two. So yeah, yeah, they were they were parts of my ten fights. Uh, now going into your final season with Quebec, um, there's some some of the guys that uh, I have listed that may have had some some fights not with you but on your team, uh, Matthew Boucher. Uh, Alexander Drapeau and uh, Mikhail Robido or were those uh, kind of yeah. like your running mates in terms of the yeah. fighting? For sure. See, uh, funny thing with Robido, he's uh, he's one of my best buddy right now, mm-hmm. and he's one of the guy where he came in the league as a 16 year old player and more of a skilled player. Like if you're if you're coming in the queue at 16 years old, like you're definitely you're a skilled player. Yeah. And at 17 years old, you were still getting cut and scratched from the lineup. And I told him, man, like if you wanna, if you wanna find a way to stick on the team and stay in the lineup and make an name yourself, like start start hating people. Yeah. And start, you know, get noticed. Then he started doing that, and then he never. I don't think he ever got um, out of the lineup again after that. And uh, he started getting fights too. I was working with him after practices. He's a lefty, so I was showing what I knew about left-handed fighters, and he got confident. And um, see, now he's playing pro, so good thing for him. Now, this is your fourth season, and that we, you know, we talked about it when you were a rookie. Uh, guys like Dylan Donnelly kind of take you under their wing, and now you're doing the same for a guy like Robido. Is that something you yep. took pride in? Is it something you enjoyed doing? Absolutely. Like, I feel like most like. It, most of the players on my team had a lot of respect for me and what I was doing and um, the path that I took to make a way in the queue yeah. and then have a role in the queue. I think a lot of players on a team had a lot of respect for that. So when they were asking me questions about fighting and how to defend themselves, I was more than happy to help them with them, uh, help them with that and uh, give them my tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's what I did with Robido. I knew he had lots of respect for me. And when a player comes up to you and wants to know more about fighting and how to defend himself and all that, like, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a player wants to defend himself and wants to fight. Yeah. So obviously I'm going to help him with that. That's what I did with uh, with Robido. Nice. Um now, this uh, one thing I want to say, and I, I, I usually slide this into all my interviews as, I'm, as I'm, I go along, but this season, um, your last season, you had nine fights. Uh, you had 82 penalty minutes, but this was your best season in terms of scoring points. You had 15 points. You had four goals. You had 11 assists. And my thing is always with guys like you who fight is that you got in order to reach any level like it you know people down here in the states i mean i think the rabbit hockey fans know how incredible it is just to make a junior hockey team uh yeah. right but i think a lot of people don't really get it you have to have 
you have to have a certain level of talent. Now, obviously, like you say, you made it with your hard work and, and you know, like your work ethic, and which I guess is the same thing as hard work, but and you're, and you're fighting. But the fact is, you know, you can play. You know, you can play the game because if you were a one-dimensional guy, those days are over. There's no room in any of the for leagues sure. now for one-dimensional guys. So for those of you guys who are listening – and don't know much about Yannick here. Yeah, he, he's known for his fists. He's known for, you know, kicking people's asses. But when he gets a chance to play, the guy can play. And and that leads me to my question. So now I, I imagine going into your fourth year, you had that had to have the most you had to have the most confidence that you've had for your all around game, I would think. Your fourth year, you're a veteran. You know, you've you've ran through the league already fight wise. I'm sure you got a lot of room out there to play. I mean, what was your confidence level like in your final year in, in uh, Quebec? See, I wasn't that confident still because I've never been a guy that was scoring a lot of goals and all that. Mm-hmm. And even my 19-year-old year, mm-hmm. like, I didn't <laughs> I didn't score a lot yeah. of goals. Mm-hmm. But, but as a 20-year-old, I remember my team. If you're on a team, if you're playing on a junior team as a 20-year-old, like, there's only three spots. So, you know... You've got an important. You need to have an important role in the team. Mm-hmm. And when I met with my coach and GM, they were they've never told me like, look, you get you, you're gonna need more points this year. Yep. You're gonna need more in the offensive contribution. They were they were always telling me, you're gonna need to be a leader. Mm-hmm. You're gonna need to be good defensively. You're gonna need to be um, a big brother for everyone. Like everyone's looking up to you. Everyone res- respects you. Um, you're going to need to be a presence on the ice, you know, but it, it's, it's never been about points and scoring goals, mm-hmm. right? Because I know that when I was thinking about it, it happened a couple of times in my career where when I was thinking about scoring goals, mm-hmm. I forgot about the rest and I kind of tried to play like a skill game mm-hmm. and that didn't work for me. Like coaches were coming up to me and say like, that's not you, right? It's not your game. Stop focusing about goals. But when I'm focusing on playing hard, being physical, um, being super fast on the forecheck and quick to puck and being a presence on the ice. Yeah. That's where I was creating space for myself, I was creating room for my roommate, uh, for my teammates. And that's where I got my points. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing for me was playing the game I play now the same way, but just a little better. Yeah. And I think, I think that's how I got my points in my 20 year old plus I think most of the players in the league were afraid of me, mm-hmm. and that allowed myself to get more rooms to um, to play with the puck and more time and space to make plays. Uh, you mentioned your coach a few times. That was uh, former LA King Philippe Boucher. I would imagine yeah. that you and uh, Coach Boucher must have had a really good relationship. Really good. You know, over the years, um, I think, well, from my 17-year-old year, when he, when I was the first player to be confirmed on the team, like, over, you know, like, he confirmed my spot before guys that were drafted in the first and second round. I think right from that time, I had, I had his, his respect. Then I respect him a lot, too, because he gave me a shot. And when I was injured at 17-year-old, he could have said, like, listen, like, we're not going to take you next year. Uh, we're going to try to trade you. Like, you're not... Uh, we don't think we're going to come back in good shape and all that, but he told me right away, like, we're going to keep you for the Memorial Cup year 
And don't worry about your spot. I love your heart. I love your work ethic. And we're going to keep you. And always appreciate Phil Boucher. And he's a guy that likes the rough play too. Yeah. Um, you know, Philip was, like I said, always telling me, play hard, be a presence, be hard on the forecheck. And I feel like my biggest asset is my speed and my physicality. And he was telling me to use that and use that and use that. And it was never about scoring goals. Like, I played even my 20-year-old year. It was never about being a goal scorer, having an offensive production. And I was never judged on my offensive contribution. Like, if I was playing a good game or not, it was about if I was physical, if I was if I brought a presence on the ice, and if I uh, didn't put my team in trouble in my, in my zone. So... Yeah, always loved Philip Boucher. I thought he had a great impact on me. And he's definitely a, a pro coach. Like, yeah. you see, like, we were, I I realized now that we were treating like pros with uh, Phil Boucher. Obviously, his NHL experience really helped to uh, make him a good coach, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're, you're really lucky because coaches, I, I mean, people – most people don't know someone that is a professional athlete, I think. And I don't think a lot of, a lot of times I think some people don't realize that coaches can really make or break a player at a certain point in their career. For sure. And especially in junior, if you have a coach that believes in you, I mean, you were really fortunate that he believed in you and had confidence in you because if you had a different style coach, who knows where you are right now. Um, and uh, I'm really glad that he was your coach because, you know, you're, you are where you're at you are where you are at right now because of you and because you had a coach that really built you up. So I, personally, I'm happy that he was your coach. I'm, I'm happy too. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what it would have been with yeah. another coach. So, yeah. yeah. Um, there's two fights I want to ask you about from your final year there. Uh, one was against a player named Matteo uh, Pietro Nero from Baikomo. Uh, you, you gave it to him pretty good. Uh, my notes say it was a pretty one-sided victory. Do you remember that one? I mm, yeah I I fought both of the brothers so oh okay their their brothers are oh but I think I think I know which one you're talking about though yeah he's a younger player I believe I think he's like yeah he was 17 by the time I was 20 I didn't mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure I fought a lot that year but you had nine I think I was pretty I pre, I was pretty pissed off in that <laughs> shift too <laughs> but yeah I usually get my better fights when I'm pissed off and when I don't. I'm I'm not expecting to fight. Right. You know, some fights like you're going on the ice knowing that you're gonna drop the gloves, but yeah. when it just happened on the heat of the moment, you actually hate the guy. Yeah. For a fraction of time, like I think that's where I get my best tilt. That was a good one. Well, there was one fight that you had that year, which I hope you remember. I got tired just watching it. It was against uh, Matthew Olivier from Shawinigan, and that yeah. fight it seemed like it went on for forever, a couple of minutes. Um, now, someone a lot of times when you have uh, extra muscle, it it takes the oxygen. It, it yep. uh, you know is it's harder to breathe and and the oxygen just leaves your body a lot quicker. Um, how do you feel about? Obviously, everyone wants to do the one punch knockout, get it over with quick. But when yep. you when you fight a marathon fight like that, uh, how do you feel about those fights? Are you okay with those? See, um, that's where the boxing classes comes into play because. In boxing, you learn how to throw good punches without getting tired just by getting the loose shoulders and getting that snap. Most of the players, 
they when they fight they get tired because um they're forcing their muscle you know they're all stiff and all tight and that drains a lot of energy right and it's funny because um olivier is one of my good buddies from home okay and we actually have the same boxing coach okay back home and we were we were doing some mitts work with our boxing coach together for like the whole summer so i know how he fights he knows how i fight and i was texting him a lot that (laughs) summer too and uh we were telling each other like man like if we ever play like if we play against each other like we should get a good fight that that would be good (laughs) and uh i think the week before we played against each other we uh we told each other we were gonna do it and we wanted to to be a good fight a good long fight and uh that's what we did yeah put on a good show oh no question it was uh and, and by the way for people that like i said if you're not familiar with yannick please uh take an hour or so and go on youtube and just punch his name in because you won't be disappointed there's some some really good tilts on here and hopefully he's going to be in the organization for a long time you get to know him but uh definitely some real entertaining stuff from yannick's time with quebec so uh yannick was there anyone during your time in the queue uh, and it doesn't have to be a rivalry, like a hate rivalry. It could be anyone that you like competing against. But it could also be a hate thing. Was there someone that you had a particular rivalry with? Um, probably Halabi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably Halabi from Chikurimi. Yeah. Like, it was just a battle. You know? yeah. like, if I was winning a fight, it was going to come the next day and try to win another fight. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was probably the guy I was. I liked to uh, compete against him. Right. And I also knew he was one of the guys where, if I was gonna ask him for a fight, I knew he was gonna say yes because he's just a good competitor. And he also, see the one thing with him, and it goes with me too. Like, when someone asks us to fight. And you know that your team is looking at you like you don't want to look like you're scared, right. you know, even mm-hmm. though you're not afraid by saying no, sometimes by saying no to a fight, I, um, I was scared that my teammates were thinking that I was afraid. Yep. I didn't want that to happen. So even though I didn't need to fight sometimes just because a player asked me to fight, I didn't want to look like I was afraid. So I was, I was going for it. Good. I was fighting. So I'm going to hit you with two numbers now. You might be aware of it. You might not be aware of it. Uh, did you know that you're 15th all-time in penalty minutes for Quebec? I did not know that. You're 15th. That's great to know, though. Well, and here's one that you might like even better. You have the third most fighting majors in the history of the organization. Third most? Third most. And I, I did not know that. You're third most, and you played two seasons with the 10 fight rule, so... If you yeah. didn't have that 10 fight rule, the, the uh, uh, you ever hear of a guy named Martin Grenier? Nope. Okay, he played pro. He played a few years. He is the all-time leader. He has 59 majors, and Joe Ryan has 47. You're third at 45, so you're 14, oh you're 14 behind the all-time leader, and you played two seasons with the 10 fight rule, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So. That's awesome. I did not know that. Oh, That's good. good stats. Excellent. I'm glad you know. I'm glad I could yeah. tell you that now. So, after that, after your 20 year old season, now before you signed with Bridgeport, you were actually drafted. Are you aware that you were drafted into the Quebec LNAH? Oh my God, for sure. <laughs> so, so my question is now. Obviously, 
for people that are listening to this, I'm sure you all know the LNAH, you all know the QSPHL. Uh, Yannick was drafted in the second round by Tetford Mines. So my question is, was that ever a serious consideration for you? Not now, but right. it, I think it will be in the future. Yeah. Because it's a good league. Like, obviously, the, the league has changed. Like, yeah. it's not what it used to be. Like, right. it's funny because people people in the, at the pro level on my hockey team in Worcester and even when I was in Bridgeport, they call this the, they call this the Quebec fighting league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so funny, but it's not, see, it's nothing like it, what it used to be. Right. I don't know if you know uh, the guys that used to be like good fighters in that league. Oh yeah. I know. I know. Like, I know. Ontario, Steve Busse yep. and all that. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. These guys were just like super heavyweight. Yep. Like you don't see, you don't see players like this anymore. No. In that league. No, and it's actually good. It's good hockey too, mm-hmm. and it's a good way to make a living while getting another job too. So I think by the end of my career, that could be something I maybe consider. Yeah, but not now because I still want to give myself a shot at the next level. Right. No, I uh, some of the DVDs I used to watch from that league are just insane. Like I, I think probably. Terrio is my favorite player. You know, as oh, as he's far my as too. as far as guys who made their living there. You know, there were some guys who played a season or two there, but as far as guys like Bosse and Terrio and Pat yeah. Cote, uh, Terrio is probably my favorite guy from uh, from the glory years. That guy, I met him yeah. once actually when he was in the American League. Really, really nice guy. He was playing with um, the Citadels when he was. Uh, yeah. They had a pretty tough team there too, but nothing like obviously in the, in the Quebec League. But Terrio, uh, that guy is just—I mean, he's an animal. That's his nickname, so it's fitting. I know. But the uh, animal. yeah, yeah, no, he's. See, uh, like, it's funny because these guys was all like these guys were also like inspiration for me because they were fighting like crazy like animals. I I remember watching their fights on. Um, I don't know if you remember the site Drop Your Gloves. Oh yeah. So I used to go in and watch their fights all the time because they were just like, oh my god, absolute killers. <laughs> and I I was watching their fights, trying to like replicate them on the ice and like be just like them. But for the fighting part of my game, I think like they I don't want to say they've helped me, but they were inspiration for me too. No, I, I listen. I I, I think yeah. it would be especially for a kid growing up in Quebec. Uh, yeah, th- this is a, that league was a pretty big deal in in the heyday of the league. So I think it would only be natural for someone with the job that you do to not even look up to these guys like on a personal level, but as far as on the ice, absolutely, it would you'd be for foolish sure. not to look at a guy for like sure. Terrio or look at yeah. a guy like and listen for forget about like all the trouble that Patrick Cote's been in yeah. since he's been uh, retired. Uh, that's a guy that's playing in the Quebec League that played in Nashville. So it's a guy who played in the NHL. So you know, sure. it's definitely as far as fighting goes. Those are definitely guys that yeah. uh, that you could look up to. Did you ever get to any of the games? Did you ever go to any, see any of those games? Live? I used to go. Um, I used to go to a game in uh, Riviere du when I was younger, but yeah. we, um, my dad, <laughs> I was pretty, I was probably too young when there was a game in uh, when there was a team in Quebec. Yeah, my dad didn't want to send me there <laughs> and uh, go watch the games, but. Um, also, we forgot about a guy, uh, John Murasti. Oh yeah, playing in that mm-hmm. league. And Definitely big inspiration too, man. Like he was like he was a warrior. Yes, like just going, 
just going to fight every time and just giving all you had. Yeah. Oh. All the time. Even, like, doesn't matter what day, what time. He was just showing up and finding like his life was depending on it. Yeah. And I just loved it. Well, my next guest on the show, uh, next week I'm going to interview uh, Zen and Kanapka who played with John in Syracuse, and uh, I can't wait to really? ask him. Yeah, I, they had four guys in Syracuse that were, they had like this little fight club, and I can't wait to hear some stories about those four guys in uh, in Syracuse. Same. So, yeah, John John's an all-timer for sure, so uh, oh, he's yeah, another sure. guy to look up to. So yeah. uh, the reason why you are on this podcast, because the only rule I have about this podcast is you have to have some ties to the New York Islanders. Now, after your junior career is over, uh, you ended up signing with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. So, uh, were there any other teams that were interested in you? And if so, why did you pick Bridgeport? No, well, that's uh, that's another good story I'm going to tell you right now. Um, so, after my junior year, I committed with a CIS team okay. called uh, Trois-Rivières. Okay. I was, I was supposed to go play there. And um, so, what happened is... We're, I think we're in July, and um, I get a phone call. I think it was like a Wednesday night. I just got out of the grocery store. I get a phone call, and the guy said, uh, hey, hey, Yannick, listen, I'm a, a QMJ shell scout for the New York Islanders. His name is uh, Mario Saracino. Yeah, okay. I know the name. He's, yep. he, yeah, he's a scout. He's a scout for the Islanders, and he says, listen, like, I've been watching you over the years. Um, we got a spot left at the New York Islanders camp, and uh, we want to invite you. That was exactly one month before camp started. <laughs> it's funny because he said, "Are you in good shape right now? You think you're ready for this?" And I said, "Listen, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the guy that's in the best shape at your camp if you invite me." <laughs> and he said, "Awesome!" So he invites me to camp, and I told my, um, I told the team in twelve, yeah, the CIS team. I said, "Listen, I'm going to." I'm going to NHL camp, but I think I'm going to be back. Like, I was just going there for the experience, but obviously, like, you want to leave a mark or something, but yeah. I wasn't expecting anything mm-hmm. because I kind of got an invite out of nowhere, and I didn't have a great season in terms of point in my overage year in the yeah. queue. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to camp. Like, obviously, I was going to give all I have. Like, I had nothing to lose going there, right. but I wasn't expecting anything. And I came to camp. I played great rookie game. I was trying to fight everyone at the ice. You know what it is? Like, you're, yep. you're a tough guy. Like, obviously, Absolutely. I knew, I knew it invited me for a reason. Right. Mm-hmm. My energy, my toughness. Like, they didn't invite me to score goals at this camp. Right. It was to play. We were playing the Flyers, and I knew that I needed to show what I have and what I was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I was trying to fight everyone. I remember I was asking... Uh, Samuel Morin, he's, he was playing on that team, mm-hmm. but he just broke his hand. He was coming back from his surgery. He didn't want to give me a fight. Yeah. But still, I had a, um, I got past uh, rookie camp. Mm-hmm. They didn't cut me. They invite me to main camp, and then same thing. They gave me a preseason game. That's another dream. That was another dream come true for me. Yeah. Playing a preseason game at the Barclays Center. Yeah. And uh, I had an assist on uh, Boychuk's goal. Nice. That was that was a crazy moment too. <laughs> and uh, after that, well, I was trying to fight all game, didn't find any customer, but I was able to get an assist, which was great. Yeah. And so after that, I got cut from camp. I didn't sign yet, but I went to Bridgeport camp. Yep. 
And uh, at Bridgeport camp, we were playing two uh, two games against Hartford, mm. and I knew that I was probably gonna get a chance to fight someone at that camp. Yeah. And uh, I fought Jack Nevins uh, first game, mm-hmm. and second game, uh, I fought Eric Selleck. Okay. And managed to get two assists too. Nice. So that was <laughs> yeah, that huh. was really good camp for me. So mm-hmm. um, I was re- I was expecting to get something after that, and they gave me a two year deal. So. That was uh, another great story, honestly. Like, didn't expect that when uh, when uh, the Islanders called the Islanders uh, scout called me at first time. Didn't expect I was gonna get a contract, but see, like, I just I just came in, did what I had to do, and they signed me. So I'm very grateful for that too. Still in the organization too. So yeah, that's great. Oh, I love, man, the more you talk, I get goosebumps. Just, uh, I'm so happy for, yeah, because, no, you know why? Because, listen, I I tend to be a positive person, you know, and the world is so negative and everything, and I always try to be a glass half full guy. And just your story, you know, just the way that your story has unfolded so far, it's just a really feel-good story for for someone, you know, like I always call myself a ham and agger. Like I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm just an average guy. And yeah. in terms of hockey, you're not, you're not a, a 50 goal scorer. Every everything nope. when you're done, when your career is done, everything that you have from hockey, you know that you earned it with hard work. And and to me, nothing beats that. That's why I, I love hearing your stories. They're awesome. Yeah, nothing beats it. Yeah. Like you said, like I didn't, like I said, like I'm, when I'm giving tips to someone else. Like mm-hmm. a guy like me, it's just like I say, it's not about scoring fifty goals. It's about find what makes you special. For yeah. me, it was my energy, yeah. my physicality, and just be the best at it. Mm-hmm. Like I've never like it's funny because even when I was younger, like all the kids were taking like stick and link class and all that, and yeah. like how how to have a better shot and all that. But for me, my dad was just giving me power skating class and boxing classes and he was telling me you're gonna be the best at finishing your hits mm-hmm. and at fighting and I'm very grateful he did that because now like I don't think you know like I don't think I would have made it by having a better shot or having better hands you know yeah like what what got me to the next level was my my work ethic my the way that the way that I skate was allowing me to finish in my hits too, mm-hmm. and that's that's the way I made it. I'm I'm very grateful that I had that. Well, I hope I get to meet your dad one day. It sounds like we'll probably get yeah. along. We'll probably get along For pretty sure. well. We <laughs> it sounds like we watched the same hockey when we were younger and everything. Yep. <laughs> so uh, so hopefully uh, hopefully I get to meet him one day. So yeah. You, so now you're a pro. You're in Worcester. Um, your first year there, it, you know, the East Coast League is weird because it, uh, back in the day, it was a league, I think, that prided itself on its toughness. And yep. I think the way the game has changed now, uh, even the league itself, they don't like their fights being on YouTube. And I think they do everything in their power to to tell people that, you know, we don't really fight too much and they have a fight rule and everything. But uh, so with some of these, you're going to have to help me out because I'm just going to throw some names out at you. Uh, of guys that you fought, but you did have one guy on the team. Well, I'm sure you had more than one guy, but I would guess your your running mate for for that first year was a guy named Mike Cornell. Uh, he yep. he was a tough player. Tell me a little bit about Mike. I mean, Mike is a veteran in uh, Mike is a veteran in pro hockey in the minor league, and uh, 
he's really a guy that everyone respects respects in the locker room and everyone's looking up to like he's a dad he knows what he's doing he's a leader and um i know mike like he's not a guy where um he's not a guy where he's gonna ask before he fights like yep. it really happens in the moment mm-hmm. and uh when it, when the flip switch like he, yeah. he can be a mad man nice and always appreciate like he plays the game with a lot of passion mm-hmm. and see like he's an older guy but like he still prepares like he's trying to he's trying to move up you know what i mean like yeah. his preparation and his commitment like it's like a 20 years old player that's trying to move in the NHL and I've always appreciated that and that's that's what a leader should do too and uh yeah I was really playing my fights with him um so you you don't have any NHL games yet so I can't ask you about your first NHL goal but do you remember your first professional goal that season you had one goal do you remember it I do it was in uh Adirondack like I said love playing that good season. yeah I think, I, yeah, I scored my first pro goal there. Got a couple fights there, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a good moment. That was later in the season, too. Mm-hmm. I was afraid I wasn't going to get my first pro goal. Yeah. But later in the season, I got it. That was just a good relief, man. Like, obviously, winning a fight is good. But yep. when you're not used to score goals and you score, like, that's a really good moment. I was on two-on-one with the, our captain at the time, Chris Lankow. Gave me a pass that just went 5-0. Nice. Very yeah, nice. nice. Yeah. Good for you. So um, so you had you mentioned the fight you had in the in the uh, games against Hartford. But if I'm not mistaken, your first official East Coast League fight was against a guy named Tony Turgeon of Manchester. Yeah. Is that true? That's true. Um, that was the first game in uh, – yeah, first pro game too. In uh, in Worcester at the DCU Center. Okay. And you know, like the fights, the uh, the fans in Worcester, they they like the tough play. Yep. Um, you probably know with the Worcester Sharks, like they used to have tough teams, like guys like Fraser McLaren, uh, Jimmy Bono, and all that. So, Yannick. Like, you, y- Yannick, yep. I'm so old. I remember the Worcester Ice Cats. So, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> that's how old I am. I remember yeah. Kevin Sawyer on the Ice Cats. And uh, Reed Low, and uh, so I remember Worcester. I oh, know yeah. they love their tough players. So that's yeah, how old I am. So players. yeah, you go on. Yeah. So um, yeah, Worcester likes the the rough play, the physicality, and all that. And that was the first pro game. That was my first pro game. And um, I remember the the arena was packed too. I thought we had a. I think we had something like ten thousand people. Nice in the building, and I wanted absolutely to get a fight, and get right away get known by the fans yeah with a fire big hit so i fought tony turgeon that was a pretty quick fight mm-hmm. uh you went down right away like we just slipped and then later in the game i fought again uh after i threw a big hit in the third period chris with uh was uh is it uh, wizamersky yeah, yeah wizamersky yeah i had a mm-hmm. fight with him too there there were one there's four guys that you fought twice. Uh, Gabriel uh, Verpelst. I don't know if I'm saying his yeah. name right. Colorado. Yeah, Verpelst, yeah. Uh, Travis Howe of Utah. Uh, Martin Nemchek, Manchester. And Travis Armstrong, 
who uh, one fight he was with Adirondack, one fight he was with Quad City. Uh, anything stand out about any of those guys that you fought him twice? Uh, I think, well, that was my first year too. Yeah. And I was trying to get the most fights. Mm-hmm. Like, the more fights, like, I know as a 20-year-old, like, you know, see, like, what I did when I was 17 years old, I tried to do it again. Yep. In my first pro year. Mm-hmm. Because the more you fight, you, you get good fights and um, you fight a lot. Guys are going to leave you alone the year after. Yeah. So you just want to make a name of yourself. And I knew that these guys were like their fighters of their team, mm-hmm. the fighters of their team. So that's why I went after them. And yep. I don't see like a guy like Travis Hall, like super tough. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they like, got a lot of respect for him. And I knew when we were playing against each other, like something was going to happen. It's a little bit like when I play Reed Halabian Jr. Yep. Like when, when you're both on the ice, you're the tough guys and both of you guys are on the ice at the same time. It's like, you know something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. felt like I had to do something. And uh, that's what happened in, in those fights. Um, Jeremy Burns from Wheeling, you fought him four yeah. times that year. Yeah, uh, a lot of respect for him too. Was that just something when you played Wheeling, you knew that you were going to go? Yeah. See, it's funny because he was – I was trying to go for the most fights mm-hmm. in the league that year. I think I think he was trying to do the same thing. <laughs> and uh, first game, I believe first game I played against him, like we didn't like each other much. Something happened at the end of the game. Yep. And he was like, ah, I'm going to get you next game. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like I don't I'm going to kick your ass, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and uh, we were playing back-to-back. So the second night, even in warm-up, like we were telling each other, all right, buddy, like – We'll go. I can't wait to beat you up. Blah blah blah. And uh, <laughs> we fought first shift of the game. Like both coaches knew that we wanted to fight, so they just put us out there at the same time to start the game. And uh, we had a good tilt. Then they came back in Worcester. Then we were uh, losing. I think three one. I asked him to go. He said yes. And then the next day they were playing. See, like in the East Coast League, sometimes when you're playing teams that are not in your division, mm-hmm. they're doing games like back to back, Friday, yep. Saturday, even like three and three yep. at the same arena. Mm-hmm. So when we're playing teams like that, like you're gonna, you're gonna play them, like you're gonna play the other guy a lot of times in the weekend. So it was just a grind. Like we're gonna, all right, buddy. Like we're gonna go, we're gonna do it, get our fights, and it's just gonna be good for us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, no disrespect to any of the guys that you fought that year, but in my opinion, uh, from what I what I've seen anyway, probably the toughest player you fought that season, definitely the guy with the biggest reputation was Tristan Grant. Uh, yeah. Definitely a step up in competition from from the other guys. And again, True. no disrespect, just based yeah. on experience. Do you remember the I fight agree that you too. had? Yeah. Oh, yeah. of course, man. Like Tristan Grant, like he played in the NHL, had a good career in the AHL too. Yep. And uh, that was probably like the the biggest step mm-hmm. I had to take from like other fires, and like you said, no disrespect to other fly, to other fires, but right. when you go a guy that's six one two fifty, because he was two fifty at the time, <laughs> they went in Worcester, like big boy, yeah, and uh, super strong, and it's funny because he had, I believe, two fights that year, two three fights, so I knew that he wasn't really looking to fight anyone, yeah. You know, he was just a veteran player playing the East Coast League. Mm-hmm. But me as a youngster, 
like I can't change my game because there's a guy there's a tough guy on the other team right. and I knew before the game that the way I play he was probably gonna have to go after me yeah because I was going to run everyone like that's that's the way I play you know like, yeah if you if you don't have another guy that can fight on your team well good luck because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna run your players yep shift after shift all the time so yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't we were in the first period I was already running players around and I could see he was standing up on the bench <laughs> waiting for a line change <laughs> to go after me yeah. <laughs> I was I was always getting out <laughs> just in time because I didn't want to go him at the end of my shift yeah <laughs> oh, and man. I think second period I took a boarding penalty absolutely run this guy from behind but mm. like huge hit yeah and I'm on the penalty I'm on the penalty box and I see him standing up again on his bench <laughs> and I'm like oh oh all right take take a breather cuz you're I'm going to have to go him after that yeah and then once <laughs> once the 2 minute penalty is over I'm going on the ice again and then we're on the four check I'm going on the four check D gets the puck boom big hit and then Tristan Grant was right behind me he's like let's go kid we're going yeah. Enough with your running around. Like we're gonna go. <laughs> yeah. Drop the gloves, and he tried to grab me right away. I just uh, went back square off with him, and then uh, we were pretty tight in that fight. But you could, I could tell he was the strongest opponent I have faced so far. Like physically strong. Yeah. It was hard for me to get my punches in, but mm-hmm. he was obviously like he knew what he was doing. Like yeah. he's a guy that's probably he probably has like two hundred plus fights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me as a 20-year-old fighting a guy that's like seven, eight years older than me, like that was that was a little hard. That was a tough job for me, but um, I showed up. Yep. Did what I had to do. That was I think that was good for me. No doubt. You can only if you, that's how you get better by fighting guys with the, with the guys like a guy like Tristan Grant. You have sure. to do everything you can do to get him to fight you, and that's yeah. that's how you get better. And maybe in a few years, you're going to be that guy that someone is going to try to fight. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yep. So, how did you find out you were getting called up to Bridgeport? My first called up, we were. Um, I think I had like something like a hundred pims in fifteen games, mm-hmm. and only four assists. Mm-hmm. So. Like, that's another thing. Like, I knew Bridgeport knew that I wasn't a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. They were going to base. If I'm if I'm playing good, it's because I'm throwing hits. I'm hard on the forecheck. I'm playing my game, not because I'm scoring goals and all that. Right. And they called me up. Like, I think someone was moving up in the NHL. Okay. They had an open spot. And uh, they called me up. So I went straight to Bridgeport. We were playing the next day in uh, Springfield. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fight my that game. I think that was my biggest regret that year, was not being, not being in a fight. I right. feel like I've should have done. I've should have done a better job at making someone fighting me. Yeah. And I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that was that definitely my biggest regret because I got sent down. Right. A um, couple of days later. And. Um, See, like I'm not saying I'm not saying I got sent down because I didn't fight. Right. But I think it would have helped. Absolutely. No, you yeah. you're what you're saying is a story that guys have been telling for decades. When a guy in your role gets called up, you generally you're called up for a reason 
and yep. sometimes the opportunity doesn't present itself. Sometimes you have to force the issue. But no, I, I mean, no, I don't think anyone would say that's why you got sent down. But it could have been a factor. But it but, could have been. Yeah. It so that's helped. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, it could have helped a lot. So that was just a one game call up. That was a like one game called up. Then I got called up a late. I got called up later that year. Mm-hmm. And then we played Syracuse. Yep. And then we played Wilkes-Barre. Yeah, and you and went after. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> the guys well, you went I, after, you I mean, you didn't pick your spots for sure. You went after the <laughs> toughest guy on each team. So uh, so the first fight you had uh, was Syracuse. A real tough guy, Alex Gallant. His brother, Brett, yeah. played in the Islander organization. Uh, so take me through that game. You know, Was Syracuse the first game that you played? Syracuse was the first game that we played Wilkes-Barre. Okay, so and, you, uh, you went into see, that game. I learned, yeah, I learned from my first call up because I didn't fight that first call up. Mm-hmm. And I got sent down. Yep. And so I was waiting for another call up so bad. And when I got called up, I told my, I told myself like I'm gonna, I'm gonna go anyone. Like yep. I need, I need to get a fight. I need to get big hits. Like yep. I need to play the game that uh, got me signed with them. Mm-hmm. I think I learned from that first call up, so I went there. Um, I was playing a good game. I asked Gallant to fight. Mm. We dropped the gloves. I didn't like, well, I didn't have a good fight that game. Mm. See, like, I had some great fights in the ECHL because I was confident. Yeah. And um, even though I was young, I was very confident. But I feel like I didn't have a good fight against Gallant. I don't think I had a good fight against Estito because I think I was respecting these guys a little too much. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes when you're going up another level... Like, you respect them too much, yeah. maybe because it's like you're not used to play at that level. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I, if I came in the American League at that time with the confidence I had when I was getting my good fights in the ECHL, I think I would have had better fights. Right. But you know, you're 21 year old. Like you're you're learning, obviously, and that's all that's all part of the learning process. Absolutely. Like, I feel like. If you put me right now at 24-year-old against these guys, like, I feel like I could be a lot more confident and do, do a lot better in the fights. Oh, 100%. But, like I said, like, that's, that's the point. Like, we, like you live and learn. Mm-hmm. You're, like, I was a young player. Like, you learn in your fights. You learn by experience. And that's how you get more confident, too. I wasn't very confident. Mm-hmm. I showed up to fight. Like, sometimes that's, like, like we said earlier, like, all you need is to show up. But yep. As a tough customer, like I'm not, I'm not used to lose a lot. Of, I'm not used to lose a lot of fights. Right. And it it definitely sucks when you're losing fights. I'm not saying I lost both fights, but like I'm used to winning fights. Yeah. And yeah. Like everyone will tell you, like, oh, you showed up, it's great. But for me, it's like no, like I I want to win. I want to get good fights. You know, like I I take a lot of pride in doing this. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some some of the things in my uh, in my pro in my first pro year that I regret a little bit. But when you're young, it's easier to say when you're 24 year old and you're looking back than it is when uh, when you're writing it when you're 21 year old. The best thing about being 24 is that you're still very young, and yeah. you're gonna get so much more experience. And you're going to look back on everything you did that first year pro and the stuff that you regret and the stuff that, 
maybe you view as mistakes or whatever, and all it is yeah. is learning experience. So you're still yeah. a kid, man, and you, your future is very bright. So uh, I know. But so sometimes when you... I feel I feel a little old sometimes <laughs> because that's my third pro year. I feel like man, like I've been, you know, I've been playing ECHL for a long time, but like. Yeah. You see, with college, like college players, like usually they start their pro career at 24 year old. Yeah, yeah. And they're still young, yep. so I gotta look at that way. Like, yes, I played already three seasons, but I'm only 24. Like, yep. I'm not even close to being at my best right now. Correct. I just got more experience and more experience, and I feel like if I play in the American League today, I would be a lot more confident than I was at 21. Yeah. And that would change a lot of things. So. Hopefully I get a shot. Yeah, plenty of time. Plenty of time. Yeah, plenty of time. Now, when you were in Bridgeport, um, they had their head coach, former NHL tough guy, the assistant coach, former NHL tough guy. Uh, what were your impressions of Brent Thompson and Matt Karkner? I knew, well, right at NHL training camp. So when you're at NHL training camp, it's usually not the um, um, it's usually not the NHL coach that's mm -hmm. there, but more the American League coach. Yeah. And I knew that Brent liked me from that start because obviously you make your research before camp, like who, who are the AHL coach? And, all and when I saw that um, in the Islanders organization, their AHL coach were Cogner, Boganicki, and uh, Brent Thompson, mm -hmm. I did my research a little bit. saw like they, they liked the tough play and they liked the rough, the rough style. I knew that they were going to, they probably were going to like me. Yeah. And you see like the, the Islanders, their team is like, their staff, it's more like an old old school style. Mm -hmm. Like you, there's there's guys like Eric Cairns, Boganicki, Kernsey, like they're guys that play the whole style. So I knew that they were they were going to like me. Yeah. And um, yeah, really like Brent Thompson. I knew that he likes the the energy that I'm bringing. Yeah. And that's why I'm hoping so bad that I make the team because I know that if I make the team, I have a shot with him. Like. I hope I can be his guy, you know, when, when yeah. we need a spot, when we need some energy. Because I know he played he played the game that I'm playing, and, like, he, know, he knows what it is, and he, he likes it for sure. Now, uh, you were down there, well, you had one game call-up, then a four-game call-up. During your time with Bridgeport, uh, was Ross Johnston down there also? He was down there. I was playing on his line, too. Oh, my God, that must have been fun. Yeah. Yeah, that was really fun. And obviously, I learned from a guy like Ross, too. Yeah. But see, like, Ross, he's not hes not very looking for fights. Right. He just plays his game, and then if it happens, it happens. Yep. And, uh, no, I learned a lot with Ross, too. Now, he was before you in the uh, junior, right? So you never played against him at no, all? No, never played against him. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah, I played i played against him when he was in, uh, in Charitown. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. Victo, too. Okay. It's funny because when I was uh, 17 years old, he was um, 19. Okay. And he was the toughest guy in the league at that time. Yeah. And that was the year when I was 17. I was going everyone toe-to-toe. -to -toe, and that game we played Victo, uh, Philip, Philip Boucher, head coach, he, he went to me and he said, listen, I don't want you to fight him tonight. Yeah. I know you probably want it, but I don't. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah, yeah. I say okay, coach. Yeah, no problem, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, if you insist, I'll leave him alone. Okay. 
<laughs> so, so no, so Sorry. that's good. that's good. Well, listen, the guy, he's to me, in my opinion, right now, the toughest guy in the NHL is, uh, is. is Reeves. I'd say Reeves because he's done it longer. But to me, Ross Johnston's right there, and uh, they had a really good fight this year in Vegas. So, yeah, um, I'm just pumped that you know the Islanders. I think part of the reason why you know, I, I like I said, your dad and I probably feel the same way about hockey. Uh, the, like I like it better the way it was when I was younger, but because yeah. the Islanders always keep tougher players around, like you know Matt Martin and Ross Johnston, and uh, you know have guy like you in the minors and everything, it, it keeps me interested. So yeah. uh, you know, even last night, just watching the preseason game against the Rangers and and Johnston dressed and Martin dressed, so it just yeah. keeps me interested. So I'm, I'm I feel like I'm pretty fortunate that the team that I support uh, appreciates the tougher players. So Same thing. Yeah. It's also a motivation for me when you see guys like Martin and Justin still making a living in that league and staying on the team and all that. Like When I see them in training camp, I really try to play like him. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, if when, they're get, when they're talking to me or giving tips, like, I really listen. And, uh, you know, because the goal, the ultimate goal is like is to be like him. Yeah. And then to play, to play with them or play after them, whatever. Like you wanna, if they're playing in the league and there's still room for players like this, like the dream is still alive. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, yeah. next season you go back to Islander camp. Uh, so I, I got to ask you. So did you back in the day? Um, they used to have these blue and white scrimmages, and obviously the game was different. And and on these blue and white teams, you could have three or four tough guys on every team. Where now, when you go to camp, there's not too many tough guys on the teams now. Uh, did you end up having any fights in camp with any of any of the other Islander players? Yeah, because we we didn't have scrimmage. Yeah. In uh, NHL camp, I think we we usually have one in development camp. Mm-hmm. But like, you see, like in development camp, guys are usually like. 18, 19 year old, like right. they just even seventeen year old, like they just got drafted. I think I would be a little stupid. Yeah, to of go course. There and, yeah, and try to fight the kids, you know. Right, right. Like that would mm-hmm. make no sense. But in in the NHL training camp, though, um, we don't really play scrimmage. We just we're just practicing, and we um, we play games usually against Philly. Yeah. So that season, I do know uh, at least one fight you had. You fought uh, in a rookie game. Against a player named uh, Carson Twarinski of the Flyers, do you remember that fight? I didn't. Well, I didn't fight him, but I tried to fight him. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I don't think they give him a major though. Oh, did you get a major? They, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. I uh, made. No, I don't think I got a major. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried to fight him bad though. Yeah. Any other any other rookie games where you may have had a scrap? Nope. Okay. Never. I. <laughs> I tried. I, I tried hard, but it just didn't happen. Especially yeah. like NHL training camps, like that's the moment where you really want to get a fight. Yeah. But it just didn't happen. Right. I don't think the Flyers had a, and uh, the I think the Flyers at the time had uh, tough guys that were in the organization, but mm-hmm. they weren't dressed when I was dressed I gotcha. in the rookie game. Guys like uh, Tyra Goldborn. Yep. Mm-hmm. He wasn't dressed when I was dressed. That could have been that could have been a matchup, but. No, there there wasn't any tough guys when uh, when I was dressed against them. Okay, so now when you go back to Worcester, uh, Cornell is still there. There and now uh, you have another guy there, Ross Olson, who doesn't mind mixing it up and playing physical. Uh, tell me a little bit about Ross. Oli's my roommate, actually in uh, in Worcester. 
Yeah. And he's uh even though he's older than me, like he was still asking me for tips. Yeah. Like how to fight and like what should I do and like he's a big boy, so I was telling him to use his reach mm -hmm. and to uh, fire punches relentless because I feel like the biggest, the toughest thing when I fight taller guys is when they keep throwing and mm -hmm. they don't let me like set up my my combination and all that. That's what I was uh, trying to teach him, mm -hmm. and he really improved his fighting aspect. And I think Ross is a guy that really got more confident with his fighting skill and. He really got better. You could tell over the games, over the fights, that he was learning and getting better. Yeah. And he's a guy that can play too, mm -hmm. which is good. Like I think he had like 120 pims this year with like 20 points. So yeah, that's good for him. That's really good for him. He's 26 years old. So yeah, so, he's a big boy. Can play. Can fight. Now, obviously, I don't get to see a lot of East Coast. I don't get to see the East Coast League at all. I used to. When they had a team in Trenton, that's not that far for me. I could go down there. But with the team, with Worcester having you and Cornell and uh, Ole, are you guys one of the tougher teams in the league? Oh, not even close. I believe really because we're playing, we're playing in um, we're playing in the North Division, mm -hmm. and the North Division is more like a skill division. Okay, you don't see like you don't see many tough guys in that division. Like I had only two fights this year, even though I had a hundred and 50 something pimps yeah only fought twice right because it was it was a little hard for me to, uh, to get fights yeah it wasn't a lot of a lot of takers mm -hmm. but when you go more on in the south division mm -hmm. and in the mountains too there's um there's more tough guys there it's it, they're, they're playing more a tougher game mm -hmm. there's more physicality there's less it's less skills but uh no i wouldn't I wouldn't think we would be uh, a one of the toughest team, a tough team for sure. Yeah, because there's like there's still like me, Olsen, Cornell, but I think like the core of the team is 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 tougher. I got you in the in the South Division. Okay. Um. So we we talked about this before we started recording. Uh, I had mentioned how I had just been up to Glens Falls and. I, and judge, judging by your reaction, it sounded like you had a big smile on your face and you started laughing about how much you enjoy playing up in Adirondack. Uh, and I would think for any any tough guy, uh, you might enjoy being the villain in the road arena because that means you're doing sure. something to get noticed. And uh, this season, a couple of the guys that you fought, uh, Mike Sadow and uh, Alexander Carrier, uh, you fought him twice that year. Um is there is there any kind of a rivalry with you guys in Adirondack, or is that just something yeah. you and you enjoy playing them? It's funny, man. In Adirondack, the the biggest thing is that their their fan base, yeah, like they're really going after other players, mm -hmm. especially tough guys. When they hate someone, yeah, like they're gonna scream and yell your name, and I just like it feeds me, you know, it feeds <laughs> me energy. Yeah. When I hear fans saying "Turkot, <laughs> you suck," mm. blah blah blah, like it's it's just so funny, man. And like <laughs> that gives that gives me drive. Like I'm I I want to do more, you know. It just put it's putting fuel in the fire, you know. And um, when I'm when I'm running around and like fans are screaming "Turkot, you suck," and <laughs> like obviously like someone on the other team needs to do something. Yeah. And uh, that's why like Kerry was going after me, and then we we had a couple fights. We didn't mm -hmm. fight in Worcester too. He's an older guy, a guy from Quebec. I don't know him, but yeah, like I knew that when when I wanted to have a fight, 
Like you was probably the guy, him and uh, Mike Zadeo too. Yeah. So if I go to see you guys playing Adirondack, I definitely want to wear a Turcotte jersey to rile their fans up. Oh, right? God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. I'll definitely do that for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so similar to your first season where you had a, you had a really good fight card, but um, you had one particular guy who stood out amongst everybody. I think it, I think it's something very similar uh, this second season because, again, you fought a lot of tough players. But I think in terms of toughness and reputation – Everybody you fought takes a backseat to Josh Gratton, who, I mean, the guy is a legend. I mean, he's fought yeah. in every league. Super, super tough guy. Uh, I saw him play a bunch in Philadelphia when he was with the Phantoms. Uh, played yeah. in the NHL. Uh, how played is the, Arizona too? Yeah. yeah. How played is that Phoenix. fight? With, yeah. How is that fight with Josh? Man, you see, like that fight, I wanted to fight him just because you can say you fought Josh Gratton. Yeah. Like, got big respect for him. Like it's. I think it's a good name to put on your resume. Absolutely. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, we were lining up against each other at the draw, and uh, I said, "Hey, Grad, mind giving me a fight?" And he said, "Ah, oh, man, broke my finger. Sorry, kid. I'm not gonna do it." Then, you know, like I got lots of respect for him, so I didn't want like say, "Come on, like fuck yeah. you, like give me one, blah blah blah." I just respect that. Like he's an yeah. older guy. Mm -hmm. Like obviously, I'm not gonna fuck. Like I'm not gonna bother him with them. Like, yeah. you don't want to fight me. Fine, I'm just gonna find someone else. And then as soon as I said, "Okay, like have a good game," he said, "Oh, you know what? We'll go." Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "All right, let's go." And uh, it's it's funny because Gratton, when if if you hit him with a good one, he's not even gonna move his face. Like, exactly. He's just, the target is always there, mm -hmm. you know. And th that was the first time I was seeing this, like. You can switch. You can get it with one or two, and he's just gonna he's just gonna take it. I don't yep. think he's even gonna blink. You know, he's just gonna <laughs> yeah. he's just gonna take it and fire back. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I was watching his fights, all of his fights before. Yep. And um, like he's every fight is the same fight for him. Like he's he's got the same style in every fight. He's just doing his thing he's not really moving the tight his head like he's just fire right fire another right like he's not even switching hands yeah for me when i fight i'm always changing because i fight the fight where i fight the way another player is not comfortable fighting with right so if i see that a player is not comfortable with lefties i'm gonna fight with my left end okay if i see a, a player is not comfortable Close range, I'm going to fight close range. Right. I'm very uh, versatile with my style of fighting. Mm -hmm. I'm switch. I'm, I'm fighting according to what the player, other player doesn't like. And with Grattan, it's more like he's going to fight his fight. Doesn't matter who he fights, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I knew how he was going to fight. And everything that I saw in that fight, I knew that it was going to come that way. And he still managed to, like... I don't want to say get the best of me, but mm -hmm. I still managed to, like, get a pretty good fight and, like, give me some trouble. Yep. Even though I knew what he was going to do. And that, that just shows you how he's a very experienced fighter and he knows what he's doing. And, like, he's been fighting all his life like that. Yep. And yep. I think that's why he's, he was just so good at it. Yeah, I, I mean, even if you even if you said he got the better of me, 
All that means is that you're on a long list of guys that Josh Gratton got the better of because yeah, his, sure. his, I mean, he's fought everybody. He's beaten everybody. everybody. I mean, so uh, fighting Josh Gratton, especially as a 23-year-old, and and him getting the upper hand, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. So, sure. so I mean, he's he's probably, sure. I would say he's probably – if he's not the toughest guy in your card, he's the second toughest guy on your card. So, uh, yeah. so he's really tough. So for sure, man. That season, you got suspended for five games. What was that for? Uh oh my God, we were in Greenville, mm-hmm. and uh, we're losing by a couple goals mm-hmm. the end of the game. And um, I don't know why, but their tough guy, who was Travis Saw at the time, wasn't dressed. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. There was like literally no one on that other team, mm-hmm. and. Um, so I'm doing, like, we're losing by three or four goals. I'm going on. There's, like, a minute left. So obviously I'm like, I'm going to do something. <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were playing Greenville the next day, too. Okay. So I'm like, I'm just going just gonna to get the next day ready. So by, by doing something, we'll see what happens. So I'm running this guy. There's, a, there's another guy that comes after me, give him a punch. And the ref is like, all right, Turcotte, you're out of the night. Like, go in the locker room. I'm like, fine, I'm going. So he gives me a 10-minute misconduct. I'm on my way to the locker room, and there's a there's a guy on the green on the Greenville bench that sprays me water. Oh. On on the way to the locker room, we're <laughs> losing 5-1. I'm turning around. I'm going close to their bench. Give a shot at the guy <laughs> who's on the bench. Line brawl start, starts. Where everyone's fighting each other. I try to grab this guy and give him another punch. And then the referees coming in, and then they all, everyone just uh, just came in to separate me. Went back in the locker room, got suspended five games, uh. plus a fine. Oh yeah, crazy <laughs> story. I don't regret it though. <laughs> it's all it's all part of the experience. Yeah, for so. sure. And the guy that squirted you, a lot of times. It's never a tough guy that does it. It's always like the never. rat or the yappy oh, guy, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm not surprised. <laughs> So it brings us to this season, uh, 30 games, uh, nine, nine points in 30 games. Listen, again, I know we you keep saying how you're not there to score yeah. this and that, but listen, let, let's give credit where it's due. You, nine points in 30 games is good in any league. So, uh, yeah. so good on you for that. And like you said, even though you didn't have too many fights, you still managed to rack up 153 penalty minutes. The, uh, the only fight that I saw from this year – was uh, against Maine. Is that Morgan Adams Mozan? Yeah. Uh, it, you, right at center ice. It was a beautiful fight. I don't know if you remember that one. Great fight. Yeah. yeah. Of course I remember. I think, <laughs> like, I think two or three times that year. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great fight. The story is, um, I asked this guy. I asked Morgan to go a couple of times earlier that year. Yeah. And they didn't really want to fight me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I. Maybe embarrassed him in Worcester a little bit because I was asking him to go in front of his bench, mm-hmm. and he kept saying no. Yeah. And then once when we came to Maine, I felt like he he had to do it to show his teammates that he wasn't afraid of me. Right. And that's that's where we um, that's where we square off. Had a great fight. Mm-hmm. That was good. I respect him for standing up and uh, and going with me. Mm-hmm. Now, just like I was talking about, you had nine points this year. You did have a four point streak a four game point scoring yeah. streak so good again good for you man this all this stuff counts all this stuff counts so good on you that you had a four game point scoring streak but i know yeah see but you also now i don't know what what this what happened 
but I, I saw that you received an indefinite suspension uh, charging against Redding. Yeah. What I happened there? What happened? Guy went, uh, guy, <laughs> oh, my God. This kid went uh, right behind the net in our zone, and uh, I think he was trying to do a wraparound. Okay. And then I was I was, I started I was starting from I think my blue line, started skating, went back in the zone and clocked him. It was a good hit, but yeah. obviously with the the force that I have, and the game has changed. Guy, if a guy gets like hit really hard, even though it's a clean hit, right? Like you're subject to suspension usually. So I got suspended to that. But to come back to the uh, the nine points in 30 games, like, see, again, I didn't focus this year on getting more points. But mm-hmm. I think when you play the game the right way and you focus on playing your game but just better and yep. more consistent, I think points are going to come by itself. Because, mm-hmm. again, when I, when I get my points, it's not when I – start focusing on playing hockey and uh, uh, being a skilled player and all that, even though I can't play. Mm-hmm. But I think when I'm super hard on the forecheck and I have a presence and I scare people and I'm just playing my game with speed, with energy, I think that's where I get the I get my scoring chances. That's where I can uh, get some assists because I'm creating room for my teammates, just give them a puck to get more ease on the ice. I think that's where they can... Uh, they can get some offense. I can get some points. Now, I've seen some things, and I don't know if this is uh, maybe something that's a career after hockey. Uh, do you? Are you a DJ? Yeah, man. Like, um, it's man. I um, so this year, I I'm not going to school. Right. Right. Like I I done my C jump in Quebec mm-hmm. after my junior year. Yeah. And uh, first year pro like. With pro hockey, you're you're uh, you're practicing, then you're going to gym, you're working out, and um, there's not much to do after that for the rest of the day. Right. Like you're you're going home, it's like noon. You need to find a hobby, something to do. And my first year, I was playing video games, and I was like, <laughs> man, I'm I'm losing my time doing this. I need to find something, something fun. And I didn't want to grab a course. I was like, I'm gonna play music music instrument maybe, but there wasn't really a music instrument that was interesting for me, mm-hmm. so I started DJing, started mixing music, mm-hmm. and I I really like it, man. Like I feel like it's just a good skill to have. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not doing it to earn any money. Right. I just do it for uh, for fun. You know, when you're with teammates, there's a night, uh, like there's a party or something, just a night with friends. Like I think it's a it's a good skill to have. It's definitely fun. So, are you in charge of the music in the locker room and uh, pregame I, stuff? I'm, I was in charge of uh, the music warm-up this year. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we had another DJ on the team, Eddie Matsushima, who played in uh, Worcester. So, we, uh, we, I'd done the warm-up, the first warm-up by myself. Yeah. And then uh, he, uh, we both did the second warm-up after Christmas together. Nice. So, yeah, that's cool. So Yannick, I, I hit you with my first question, which is always, who were you as a young man? And uh, now my last question that I always ask everybody is, um, did I miss anything in your career? Did I, did I overlook anything, uh, any, uh, any particular story that you'd like to say? Or did I, did I get it, uh, everything pretty much under the umbrella here? We, we, got, we got it all. <laughs> well, it's great. Yeah. 
Um, Yannick, with that being said, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for this time. This was an absolute blast to do. I, I love your story. I loved your story before we chatted and now hearing it from you, I, I love it even more. And, uh, I can't wait till hockey's back and I wish you nothing but the best. And, uh, I definitely hope to see you this year. If, uh, if not in Bridgeport, definitely, uh, well, I was going to say Worcester, but maybe I'll have to make the trip to Adirondack. That sounds like it might be more fun. For sure, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. That was fun. First first ever podcast for me. That was definitely a good experience. Oh, that's great, Yannick. So listen, have a great night, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. That interview was so much fun. I tell you, Yannick, thank you so much for your time. Um, really, it gives me a little bit of hope for the future that there are still some young players that like to play the game the old school way and uh you know sitting there through that interview with Yannick I got goosebumps a few times just because uh his enthusiasm really was infectious and uh you know he's very passionate about uh about his style of play and um you know whether or not he ever plays for the Islanders I don't know obviously uh he's got a fan in me and I hope he ends up with the Islanders but uh maybe he just he does enough and he ends up in Bridgeport and uh, who knows what the future holds for Yannick, but uh, I'm definitely going to be rooting for him every step of the way. And uh, Yannick, one more time, thank you very much. As far as next week goes, uh, I don't know what it's going to bring. There are a few irons in the fire. Uh, it could be another interview. I hope it is. If it isn't, I have uh, another top 10 in the hopper here that I could bring you. Uh, but I do hope it's an interview. Um, there are a couple of guys that I'm hoping to record with this week. And if I do, I will bring you one of those. But uh, again, I don't want to jinx it. Uh, I guess you'll just have to wait and see. So uh, I can promise you, though, if, if I get to chat with both of those guys, they're both going to be amazing. And it's not because of me. So uh, thank you one more time to Yannick Turcott. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, everybody, have a great week. Take care. Thank you.